ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. Vader's here. Who's the man? Vader. Who's the man? You're the man. <laughs> Stinger! Vader! Nice place you have here. Reminds me of your personality. Cold. Very funny, Sting. <laughs> What's up? You're here to accept the challenge of Vader. Are you ready to play the game? All right, all right. So what's the game? What I'd like to have right now. Where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. And I'm here with the man himself, Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good, Parv. Uh, Work from home day is always a good day to uh, record a wrestling podcast. (laughs) Some of us have been to work already, of course. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, you're a professor. You get, like, months off, so... (laughs) Um, So uh, there's a couple of little things to discuss at the top here, Chad. Um, First of all, um, I I, I hear on the grapevine that uh, you've got a bit of news for us, Chad. Is that true? Yeah, so uh, I I guess the the big news is I am now a Wrestling Reserver Newsletter Hall of Fame voter. Um, This is my first year voting. I'm probably going to be sending in my ballot. Uh, today, once we get done with this podcast, uh, I'm voting for more candidates than I thought, Parv. Um, I, I kind of thought I wouldn't be voting for that many people, but I am. Uh, uh, why don't I just run? Well, let me quickly run down my list and you can yeah. say yay or nay. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a couple of nay, but we'll get there. Um, first is Junkyard Dog. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I see him as pretty easy, just from the historical significance and the uh, drawing. Uh, it just seems like a slam dunk to me. And as I think we've seen with the Houston stuff that's came out, NWA on demand. Like, I'm not going to say he's a good worker, but I don't think he's like all time as atrocious as you might think. Like a big daddy, you know, yeah, like big yeah. big daddy is bad. I think JYD is at least competent. And even the uh, heel Big Daddy Ritter stuff that was on those Stampede episodes, those are a lot of fun that uh, Travis and Kelly are going through on Titans. I, I guess the only knock on JYD is that his run is very short. His run as a top, top guy is Yeah, short. pretty short peak. I mean, I, I, I mean, you could say he's the top or number two guy in WWF for, in the 84-85. He's at least in the conversation. It's, it's Andre. Um, as as the face, you think? But yeah, how yeah. regularly was Andre then? Well, they, they, I mean, from memory, they were um, they were feuding with a uh, big John Stud, and uh, Hogan and Andre would buddy up sometimes. And I mean, JYD was a star, but uh, I I don't know. I I think until Andre turns 
heel, he has to be counted as the number two. two. Yeah. Okay, uh, but even it, I would say even number three is not too bad for a promotion that was really on fire then. Yeah. So, but yeah, so you're looking at what 1980 to 1986 at best, mm-hmm. really, as his run. It's pretty brief. Um, yeah. So, but I, well, I guess the thing with him is that he made he just made a new market. Like New Orleans was nothing. Before. Right, made yeah. a new market. Um, I, I mean, a lot of it is regional stuff, and that you know, this was a black star in the South, and Watch tried so hard after him to do it again, and never really came close. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that to me is a feather in his cap as well. Uh, so, so he, I mean, if I only could vote for one candidate, I'd probably actually vote for him. Right, um, and th- I, that's what that's why I should also I should have asked you, Chad. Are you voting in all the different categories, or just U.S. and Japan, or yeah? So, so this I wasn't able to do as much research as I kind of hoped. Um, I've transitioned. I'm, I'm at the same company, but I'm transitioned departments. So that's been a a little bit of a transition for me uh from the job front from a personal standpoint so here are the only categories i'm voting in is modern mm-hmm. and japan and non-wrestler i'm going to abstain from historical i'm going to abstain from kind of the hodgepodge with the world of sport and the uh the uh australian guys like mark Lewin and stuff like that and then i'm also abstaining from lucha um, which I would definitely would have people I'd vote for in Lucha if I would have voted in that category. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, only in modern. So we have JYD. The next one is uh, Daniel Bryan. Um, I, I just think I'm, I, well, I'm interested to hear what you think about this part. So how much would you rate work rate if you hypothetically had a ballot? <laughs> um, it's very difficult to say, isn't it? Um, poor, uh, it's it's hard. Who's good enough to just get in on work work alone? Uh, right. But then, like Dynamite Kids in there, isn't he? So yeah. I mean, I it, or, or like Kurt Angle. I mean, Kurt Angle would be essentially work right. Yeah, I'd 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 have thought that if anybody was uh, if anybody was good enough from the modern era, it would be Brian, wouldn't it? Yeah, to be a work only. Yeah, I mean, it's just I I go back and forth because I I totally understand like work rate is gonna be the most subjective of the three kind of criteria points. Although I think there's also in like inherently subjectiveness in both the historical significance slash influence and also the drawing ability because I mean is five thousand dollars or you know five thousand people today the same as fifteen thousand you you know you kind of have to look at that to some degree like if in nineteen eighty if there was 20 promotions that could draw 3000 and above. And now, you know, here we are in 2016 and on a consistent basis, you only have, uh, what four or five promotions in the world that draw 2000 people or above to most of their shows. Um, you, you know, can, do you have to sort of dumb down that metric to a degree? Uh, it's very tough, but on the work rate front, I mean, I, I to me, like Brian was my number five worker of all time, 
the GWE, he ranked number five. I mean, I, I do think if one thing with GWE as far as Observer Hall of Fame voting, I mean, we had 151 ballots. There was a wide spectrum of people um, that voted in that with varying opinions. I mean, I, I don't think, I, I, I think it's very unfair to call that a hive mind um, mm-hmm. overall result when you have people voting Scott Steiner number one overall and stuff like that. I mean, sure, those are aberrations, but those aberrations were there. So for him to be number five overall with 151 ballots, that's a pretty good sample size. Um, to me, the show that, I mean, this is absolutely by far one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. So mm. in ring, uh, his other stuff, historical significance is, I think a decent case His drawing ability, of course, is not isn't much, but, uh, I, I mean, I think that whole, uh, Th- I mean, he was a phenomenon, wasn't he? That, that yeah, whole I mean, I, yes thing. That it was a right, big deal. right. You don't know how far that really would have gotten if he couldn't get hurt. Because I will say, after WrestleMania 30, I mean, you, you since the Attitude Era, there just hasn't been those type of kind of really, I guess, fuzzy moments where you feel like, man, wrestling may bl- really blow up here. And I'd say when Punk did the pipe bomb promo was one instance for like a month where it felt like that. And then going into WrestleMania 30 was the other instance that I can think of in the past 10 years or so. Um, And both of those kind of derailed for different situations. But yeah, I I don't think you can hold that against him. Okay, well, who who else is on your on your ballot then? So that's it of the modern. Now in Japan, I have Taue and Akiyama. Um, I think I think in some ways you can kind of group those together. I have them. I had them really close in my GWE. Uh, they finished really close in the overall ballot. You know, upper quarter or so. I think they were both around twenty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so still, you know, elite workers. Thought they both did well uh, to draw when they were asked to, to a degree. No, no, no this is an interesting question, Chad, because, um, I mean, Akiyama, really good work. I mean, I watched that match the other day. I marked huge for that uh, Kabashi match from 2000, right. uh, which I gave five stars. Apparently, nobody's ever nobody, nobody gives that <laughs> match five stars. They like the other well, one, right? The, the one later in the year. I, I would say there's three Akiyama. There's the 98 Akiyama Kabashi match that... I know you also really like there's the 12-23-2000 match, which you gave four stars to, and then there's the uh, Tokyo Dome 2004 match. I'd, I'd say most people would have the one you just ranked five stars from August 6th as their uh, fourth best match. Well, I, I mean, I, I just think Akiyama is a great, is really talented worker. Um, and the question I wanted to ask you, Chad, because, I mean, I like – I'd say that, you know, Tawi is a guy who's in a load of good matches, loads of great matches, where he's not always the, the, the best guy in them. But I wanted to ask you about Akiyama and Brian in particular. Do you think Akiyama is as like, good as Brian to just get in on work alone? That's my question. Um, I, I mean, I have, I have Akiyama a slight tier below. Right. But I think Akiyama's better as a draw than Brian ever was. Um, even if you 
take into account his failures or whatever. I mean, I mean, it's it's different, but nobody really critiques John Cena for not being Rocker Austin. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that you can. I, I mean, all Japan is what a fifty-year-old company now. Around there, you look at their historical draws, and you really have Masawa, Kabashi, Jumbo. Uh, probably Choshu popped the crowd, Baba, and then what, fuck. So after that, yeah, I mean, that's seven or eight people. But if you look at that same 50-year timeline for WWE, I mean, you you have somebody like Cena. Well, he's not as high as Austin or Rock. He's not as high as Hogan. He's -hmm. not as high as Bruno. Um, or Backlund probably. Yeah, Backlund is you know he's in the conversation with Backlund, uh, probably uh, like Superstar Graham, you know, around there. Mm-hmm. So so he's in the conversation for five through eight, which I think is what Akiyama is. I mean, all Japan business has been in the tank for now fourteen years, where this year alone them getting like 700, 800 people to their show was seen as a growth spurt compared to where they were. Um, so, you know, I think he's been a good draw uh, historically uh, and really good worker. I mean, again, like Brian, I had in the absolute, absolute upper tier, but Akiyawa was right in a tier below that. Right. <clears throat> Same for Tawei, though, for me. So, so you Tawai, think Tawai is same. that level of worker as well? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Um, and, and I think Tawai's Noah stuff, when he was asked to work with somebody like Nagata and uh, Mayor Fuji, kind of in the uh, elder statesman portion of his career, really helps. Um, but, I mean, Akiyama's still going. He's still really good now in 2016, so that's kind of incredible. Yeah, well, when you, I mean, I don't know. What, like, I've never really understood when you look at the people who are in already that's the question i always ask like if i ever had to truly think about this do you think about like what what's the lowest benchmark or do you set your own standards um because if you think well like tower is not in but some of the guys who are on that list who are in you think well how, how has that happened um, yeah, that, that was one thing I was really tough. Like, I didn't want to say, well, Ultimo Dragon is in, so how is Tawei not in? Um, it's kind of tough to play that game, you know? Well, is Edge in there? Edge is not. He's on the ballot, though, and he's oh. getting pretty good support. I, I mean, right, I think yeah. uh, I think Edge has a really strong chance of having a higher percentage of somebody like Tawei. Um, yeah, I'm not Pope French. I did forget one person in the modern performer. He was the last person I added. I added him last night, Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, fantastic. Well, the Titans are wrestling. I'm proud, proud of you. Yeah, the Titans. <laughs> I, I, in, uh, in our other Facebook chat, I was asking, uh, you know, I said I was on the fence about Sarge, and of course, the uh, Titans <laughs> run on. Here they came. <laughs> Kelly, Johnny, Pete, all all the friends piling on that uh, 
and Sarge should be in. <laughs> little, little confirmation bias, but I, I mean, I, th- I do think he checks all the boxes. I mean, he has the GI Joe historical significance stuff. Uh, a really strong worker. I don't think he's as good as somebody like Taoi or Akiyama, but you know, for me, he was comfortably in my top one hundred, and uh, you know, he was a good draw too. So. Really right. seems to. I mean, I mean, in in some way, I don't know if he's necessarily Hall of Fame level in all three categories, but I think he's right at the cusp in all three. So when you kind of take that, some is better than any parts narrative with him. I uh, added him on. I mean, the, the other thing with him is uh, how many people were a big star for WWF Mid Atlantic. And then had a run later on in WWF, isn't it? Is, is, that's that's a short short list, I would say. The guys who are big in all of those areas. Yeah. Uh, so, who else? Is, is that it? You no. Else? Well, the the only other three uh, wrestlers are shoot style guys. So I I'm voting for Fujiwara, Volkan, and Kiyoshi Tamura. Um, uh, I mean, I'll just say to, m- m- all three, I'd put work rate as the biggest proponent of them um, with drawing number two and historic. I mean, Fujiwara, I think, has a good bit of historical significance, but uh, it's mainly just a representation of the shoot style, which, you know, I love part of which I know you hate. But uh, in, in somebody like Tamura's case, I mean, he was my number nine on GWE. So now are they just in Japan category like General? Yeah, they're in Japan. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Uh, so, so those are the last three, and then real quickly, my non-performers was uh, Jerry Jarrett, Gene Okerlund, Yay. Jimmy Hart, um, Don Owen, and Stanley Weston. Has uh, as Jesse fallen off? I, I don't think. I think Jesse... I think Jesse's fallen off. I think he was on there for years, and I think he may have fallen off last year. Well, I wouldn't have voted for him. So. Oh, sour grapes. <laughs> but but I'm glad you voted Oakland. Um, I think he's a really underrated guy in the whole. Because I've really been looking, as you know, Chad, about the uh, the transition that Vince made from like his dad's promotion to to his own. And I I honestly think Gene was instrumental in all of that. So right, like in the uh, when did he jump? Eighty four. Yeah, January eighty four is his first yeah. date. I think so, something like that. So Ryan Hogan wins the belt. And, so he, he's, and he's there with the he's there when with the celebration and of the, the backstage, belt. yeah, champagne and everything. Um, what was I? Oh, real quickly, Jimmy Hart. Like I can't believe Jimmy Hart's not in. Yeah, he'd seem like a slam. Like to me. from a kayfabe standpoint, like who would you even argue since nineteen seventy or so? Like how many managers could you? conceivably have above him both from a drawing and from a, i guess a success point i mean bobby albano albano and uh you know maybe Cornette. like i think him and Cornette I, are neutral but behind I, that assume like, the, i'd assume that blassie would just go in by total fiat immediately um maybe also grand wizard because of this detroit thing as well but apart from those apart from the three wise men heenan and Cornette, you'd I mean, you'd assume that Jimmy Hart would just be in there straight away. I'm really surprised he's not in. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel he's definitely a stronger case than, like, Grand Wizard. Um, who Blassie was a fiat. 
I'm looking at that now. Yeah, well, because well, he was so... I guess wrestler so, and manager. Oh, yeah, the match with Ricky Dozan and, you know, Tolos and major draw in LA and all the rest of it. So he'd probably just go in as a wrestler immediately. Now, Wizard's not in as far as I can see. So that would be an interesting discussion for another day. Um, but That's yeah. interesting. Okay. But he's not even nominated, right? No, I don't think so. Which yeah. is kind of surprising. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my ballot, and um, of course, there's a couple of other uh, new individuals that got a ballot, well, too. I mean, I got a bit of a bone to pick with Dave Meltzer here, because uh, Chad, my longtime co-host here on Where the Big Boys Play, has got a ballot. Pete, my longtime co-host on Titans of Wrestling, has got a ballot. <laughs> and Bloody Allen, the, from Letters from Kayfabe, has got a ballot. I mean, what the... F- what's going on here? I think there's got to be there's some sort of... Uh, what do they call it? What's the phrase you guys use now political hit or something why <laughs> why haven't i got one <laughs> uh, i'll just say uh sometimes it helps to have fans uh friends in the business there par oh right uh, i was uh there was a little bit of uh politicking going on for me to receive a ballot and pete and Alan. so i see, I see. yeah yeah you just yeah. gotta know the right people sir wow well, screwed out of that uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I, 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 I don't know. Shall we? Um, oh, there, there was one other big bit of news today, which I have to mention. Chad, Bob Dylan got the Nobel Prize. Yeah, I saw your face, but I, I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, I mean, um, that, that's a huge thing because, of course, that's never gone to somebody who's basically not thought of as uh, as a literary author. figure. You know, oh, he's, he's a yeah. song and dance man, a, a rock star. So for him to get that, uh, based purely on his lyrics, is pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, proud day for all Dylan fans. And I only mention that to give you a nudge towards the most read place to be nation article of all time, my, my guide to Bob Dylan. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, oh, yes. Uh, further parts of my uh, top 100 uh, music article thing will, will be out you know, in the in the coming weeks as well, where you may be seeing Mr. Dylan somewhere. So, um, anything else, Chad, before we uh, get into the Meltzers? I think that's it. This was kind of a lengthy intro, but yeah, some big news with me getting the ballot, yeah, so we wanted get, to get through that. Let me just ask you, though, Chad, were you uh, proud? Were you happy? You know, I'd, it's something I never really thought of you know, kind of asking or, you know, kind of groveling for. Um, and then, and then something where I never thought, Oh, well, I'm worthy of it. If other people can, you know, in that kind of sense, but I will say, you know, being asked to do that and to vote, it is in our little, uh, wrestling sphere. Uh, is this something I kind of consider an honor and I am, uh, proud and happy and something I take pretty serious to a degree. Well I, well, I think it's great. So well, well deserved for you, and uh, also for Pete, and also for Alan, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, when it happened, we were all three kind of marking out together on our chat, so that was a nice moment. <laughs> Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of the Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Place to be nation.com, the Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. 
Place to be Nations, Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com. And we now offer them to you on two great feeds as well. On the Place to Be Podcast feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be Podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with clotheslines and headlines, main event, Mission Indie Possible, in our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. Relive Wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We also have sports covered, too, with the Sports Lounge, the TJ McLoon Show, and NBA Team Podcast. On our brand new PTB Pop Podcast feed, we offer great shows such as the Glenn Butler Podcast, Our Spectacular, Rank and File, Lucha Undead, as well as a veritable podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both feeds on iTunes, and be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All of these shows are available on PlaceMation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. Be sure to check out the right-hand side of the site for details on how to support the site when you shop at Amazon and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get on to the Meltzer Zone because I think it's quite a lot of news uh, happens here in the early part of 1993. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra, Wrestling Observer Extra. with Dave Meltzer. So, this is going uh, January the 25th, 93, Chad, um, just after the clash happened. And um, basically, there was quite a lot of thumbs up um, for that clash. So they liked it, and they thought that the tag match, the, the Steamboat and Douglas versus Pillman and Wyndham tag match, was the was the best match, just like you did, I think. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the latest on Ric Flair is that he hasn't signed a contract with World Championship Wrestling. Flair was on the road this weekend, finishing up his commitments with the WWF, and a new contract was uh, supposed to be waiting for him when he returned home. Uh, while, is it ex- while it is expected the deal to be, uh, while it is expected that the deal will be consummated and Flair is going to start on the 221 pay per view, it is not a done deal, at least of press time. Even Jim Ross of WCW, when commenting about the reports of the deal on the 9100 number, said deals have been known to fall apart at the last minute. Flair's WWF departure was explained within the storyline on January the 18th. He lost a loser leaves town t- uh, match with Mr. Perfect at the Manhattan Center. Um, do you like that match, Chad? The, the Mr. Perfect one? <laughs> Man, that's a match I go back and forth on. Um, I watched it a good bit, uh, just going through 93 stuff, and then when we did the live watch for PTB. Um, it's, it's the one where I really like it sometimes, like in the four-star range, and then sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, this is just really a good match in the three-star range, so... Kind of overall, it's probably like a three and a half, three and three quarter. You know, very good, but not great, I wouldn't say. Meltzer says the match was said to have been excellent, lasting about 20 minutes and perfect juice. The blade seems to be back in use minimally by both WCW and WWF. Um, Titan pulled a coup out with the way they handled this. First off, they established Monday Night Raw as a television show. Um uh, with the angle on January the 18th and the blow-off to a major feud on television the next week. So that's something you don't really think about, is that match as a kind of pivotal 
thing to kick Raw off because um, it happened on Raw. So there we go. Yeah, that that's, yeah that was kind of I, but it's kind of weird because yeah I mean it, now historically it's like oh this was really when Raw was the show you know what I mean because that's a big match but I mean some of the Raws after that there was just nothing going on well, so it's I, it's still weird. I've been watching some of those early '93 Raws and uh, but I, I, let me just say I don't swear a lot on this show but fuck Rob Bartlett because he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Really annoying character. <laughs> yeah, um, there may be a letters from K Fave uh, from Chadley asking about Rob Bartlett pretty soon. <laughs> um, Paul Lee dangerously, uh, that's Paul Heyman, uh, is uh, he was officially fired uh, by WCW on January the 15th by a letter faxed to him from Bill Watts. Watts in the letter claimed that WCW's investigation of dangerously's expense reports turned up falsifies reports at the Ramada Hotel Atlanta Airport South for dates in April, May, June and July of last year. Watts's letter also claimed that the Ramada Hotel confirmed Dangerously wasn't registered as a guest on the dates claimed in his expense reports. And it appears that you in, uh, indeed um, Ramada Hotel to provide false information that you did stay at the hotel to support fraudulent expense reports and attempt to obtain improper payments of approximately $1,200. What's also claimed that it appears Dangerously may have falsified other expense reports as well. Reportedly, during the four-month period, Dangerously turned in receipts from the hotel totaling $1,162.50 for 39 dates. According to a hotel official we contacted, there was no question Dangerously stayed at the hotel during that time period, although the official claimed that they would be unable to prove how many dates. Now, just a quick uh, pause here, because to me, looking at this now, uh, having friends in various different industries, this seems like basically getting fired over nothing. Like, I've got a friend who works for, um, you know, some of the, one of these big companies. He used to work for IBM. And, we were, and he reckons he's just spent thousands and thousands of dollars, Chad, uh, pounds on expenses where he's, like, saying he's taking a client out, but it's just me say. <laughs> I mean, I went to this uh, restaurant called Sushi Samba the other week, and he just stuck it on his American Express, and they just don't really care. It's kind of like standard in that industry. Um, and uh, it's, so I'm guessing, like, if uh, Dangerous is getting uh, fired for this, should everybody who does this sort of thing be fired? Yeah, so so this is actually something in my old job, you know, I audited the nursing homes, and that's something we would look at as their uh, – travel expenses and entertainment and yeah you'd be it, it was amazing to see the amount of uh, expenses claimed just for steaks lobster you know i mean the whole nine yards when they would go out to eat so uh it seems pretty prevalent it's it's kind of one of those things where if you're on good terms with the company uh somebody kind of just you know looks away and turns a blind eye to it but if you're somebody that's in hot water like dangerously it can add fuel to the fire to get rid of them well i was like with a group of my mates the other day we were meeting back in wales and this friend of mine was there and uh like six of us really he just stuck stuck on his card he was like oh don't worry i'll, I'll take this one yeah and it's just like and he we, we were saying well how much have you done this and he said well if, if he had to estimate it you reckon he spent over 100 grand on that card Oh my god! <laughs> like over, like if you added it all up over the years, type thing. <laughs> it's yeah, just that's like, 
Um, so, I mean, I just, I don't know, seeing this just made me think, well, this doesn't see, this seems small fry compared to that sort of thing, you know? Right. Um, dangerously signed a two year contract with WCW and Kip Fry on April the 1st, uh, 1992, um, worth between uh, base salary, performance incentives, and expenses well in excess of 200 grand a year. Uh, the contract also listed him as a TBS employee rather than an independent contractor. This would have made him the only performer in the company designated as such, so the contract was uh, somewhat precedent-setting for a pro-wrestling performer. So basically he was there as a TBS guy rather than as a WCW guy. Interesting. Uh, the employee's contract provided that work-related expenses such as medical expenses, road expenses, and promotional expenses be paid for by the company. Shortly after, Watts took over the reins of the company and dangerously found himself phased out of the spotlight. It has been heavily speculated that the size and terms of the contract, which no doubt Watts would never have given to any manager, spelled his downfall. So basically, Watts was just looking to, for any excuse, basically, to get rid of him. Right. Um, similar to Jim Cornette's 225 grand a year contract with WCW being a large part of his initial downfall under Jim Hurd, who felt that no manager was worth that kind of money. And Cornette was phased down, which made Hurd's feelings into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, just a quick question, because I know the manager role isn't, is, is less used these days, but do you think a guy like Paulie or, or Cornette is worth that sort of money to, to the company? So according to how high they were paid compared to everybody, but I would say for them too, if they were one of the uh, top like four or five highest paid people within the company, um, I, don't, I don't think what they did showed they deserved that, to be honest. So you would pay like a top wrestler more than a top manager on that basis? Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, and it's a strict apples for apples. If you have a top wrestler in the promotion, they should get more than a top manager, for sure. But how low down do you, like, so, I don't um, know. Did yeah, you pay I mean, a manager the same as a mid-carder? How do you, like a top manager, Bobby Heenan, say? Top manager about. should be in the uh, upper quarter of the talent paid, but... um. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I who would be a good comparison? So, like, Heenan in 87, I would pay him as much as around, like, honky-tonk level. <laughs> Sorry, I almost spat my... Uh... <laughs> I almost spat my drink out then. Okay, you'd pay him the same as Honky Tonk, man, would you? There you go. <laughs> I would pay, uh, I would make sure, I, I don't know, I I would probably pay Hina more than that, to be honest. Yeah, but I mean, it feels like they're so valuable. I mean, like for us, it's like, well, what would wrestling be without these guys? But I don't, I don't, it's one of those things where it's like when they go away, like as we see now, is it, is it more they've left? I mean, how much of a void would they really leave business-wise? I mean, I think that's the great push. I mean, are they a value-add to the promotion? Certainly. But are they that much of a value-add that you just kind of cater to their demand and pay them? You know, if I'm a, if I'm a wrestler, told, like if I'm Brian Pillman at this time and a manager's getting paid as much as I am, somebody like Dangerously, yeah, he's hosting shows and stuff, but I'm, I'm on the road, I'm you know, taking all these bumps, like it can, it can be kind of a sticky political situation. Hmm. Now, now that I think about it, I, I would say that like Heenan seems like a special case because I mean, Hogan basically feuded with Heenan nonstop from 84 till 
the day he left pretty much um right so but uh, he seems like a special case to me and maybe like jimmy hart in memphis would be yeah, another special he, case you know even worse is like somebody like miss elizabeth like how much should a miss elizabeth been paid in like 88 and 89 like it's 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 I, th- I think it's tough to really hit the sweet spot and what seems fair and and uh, what doesn't create drama, I guess, backstage. Yeah, but I think on a scale where Jesse Ventura is getting paid, where he's get what he's getting paid. Well, yeah, I mean that, <laughs> that's the other thing with WCW is I mean they were paying Iron Sheik like in a ridiculous <laughs> amount to sit at home, so <laughs> you know what what who who knows like everybody deserves something better than that. So, so basically, Meltzer goes into the ins and outs of this, you know, what dangerous he's claiming and what's what's his claiming. I don't think we need to get, you know, quoting like the general manager of the Ramada Hotel. And there's pages of pages of this if you want to <laughs> look it up. Uh, I don't think we need to. Uh, yeah, get most. Into it I mean, all. I mean, we can kind of cross reference, but most of the white stuff uh, that was covered in the between the sheets of his firing is. Uh, that's kind of about as comprehensive as you can get for Watts is firing and a good cross reference of the show. Cause this is really the end of when we'll talk about Watts. There is also continuing controversy regarding the status of Rick Rude. The situation is between TBS attorney, Ginger McRae and Rude's attorney. And the discrepancy involves an interpretation of the contract Rude signed with our old friend Kip Frey last year. <laughs> While I'm not aware of the specifics, I believe part of Rude's contract included provisions for a Lloyd's of London disability insurance policy, similar to the one that Mr. Perfect, Wobody Animal and others were under. I believe Rude's contract called for WCW to take care of the insurance premiums, although I don't know uh, that to be a fact. The insurance payments, if Rude would be out of action with the disabling industry, injury are in the twenty thousand um dollars a month range and kick in um either during the third or fourth month of work most estimates are that rude will be back in action around uh, march the first so his neck injury will keep him out for approximately 10 weeks so the insurance policy will not likely to be covering the injury wcw isn't paying rude his contract money while he's missing dates and reportedly rude asked uh, what's asked rude to to contact workman's comp to get income until he returns to action what's workman's comp what's what is that is some american deal yeah it's basically if you get injured on the job or something like that you get compensated uh, while you're out like you don't have to take sick or uh, unpaid leave how, how much can you see bill watts butting head with any you, you know they talk about unions and things <laughs> Like, imagine Bill Watts dealing with a wrestler's union. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I was thinking when I heard Workman's Cop. I was like, I could see uh, Watts saying, you know, he probably takes the stance of, you know, anybody that steps in the ring knows what they're getting into. So that's that's the risk you take, so to speak. So there's all sorts of legal wranglings over this. And um, once again, I, I don't think we really need to get into the ins and outs of it, but um, basically there's a dispute between Watts and Rude over whether Rude, who is going to get, how is Rude going to get paid during this time? Um, and what exactly is the terms of his insurance policy? Um, now was this, this was not the Lloyds of London or was this, do it, we know? It, it's something to do with Lloyds of London. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, they seemed to insure all the wrestlers, didn't they? Lloyds of London. Well, they gave a very good sweetheart, like, insurance deal. So it was one of those things where, like, if you claimed injury, uh, they were going to pay out 
and you basically just had to hang out, not wrestle was the parameters of that. Um, my my understanding was that, like, um, t- you know, Teddy Biasi got injured. My understanding is that he was, like, still on a Lloyd's of London, like, 10 years later. Yeah. And that's why he never took a bump as a manager or anything. Right, he- right. Yeah, so it was a nice, uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would give wrestlers that type of policy, um, and independent of something the company would offer in their benefits okay um so uh further news the march tour of the united kingdom has strong advances in a few cities upwards of five thousand tickets sold in at least one venue and that's before the names rick flair or davy boy smith have been announced which if they sign and appear on the tour should provide an additional spark one date um is ireland and has a weak advance Cactus Jack was over huge as the houses uh, at the houses uh, as a baby as a baby face this week. So Cactus Jack is getting more over. Um, the Saturday television show, January the sixteenth, ninety three, was the strongest in a long time. Four very strong television matches: six man opener with Barry Windham and the Hollywood Blondes taking on Two Cold Scorpio, Brad Armstrong, and Johnny B. Bad. Hot match. Um, good Chris Benoit win over Marcus Bagwell. Even better brawl with Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff. And then um, Vader came in at the end of that one. And then um, Ricky Steamboat taking on Dustin Rhodes. Right. Uh, was, have you uh, seen any of them? Yeah, the, uh, both the Orndorff-Cactus stuff was really fun in that mini feud we talked about in the class show. Dustin Rhodes versus Steamboat was the uh, finals of the U.S. title tournament. Um, which was a really cool tournament. There's that great Steamboat uh, Wendell match that I adore from like a week before on TV. And uh, this one was a good match too between Steamboat and Rhodes. Yeah, uh, reports are the house shows have been improving as well, especially the Steamboat and Douglas take it, uh, versus Pillman and Austin matches, which have ranged from three and a half to th- four and a half every single night. Um, in a few cities, they've topped 30 minutes. Judging from television, it appears they'll do a two out of three full tag at the pay-per-view. Well, that didn't happen, did it? No. Uh, in fact, we can get on to that. Uh, maybe it'll be explained in these uh, in these melters here, but I, I'm wondering where Steamboat was now. Not oh, yeah. Very interested in him uh, not making this show. Cactus Jack turn was apparently a late decision predicated on Terry Funk changing his mind about coming in. So... There was talk of the Funker coming in here in 1993. How do you see Funk uh, fitting into early 93 WCW, Chad? Yeah, that had been interesting. Um, I mean, it always seems interesting when Funk comes in. Uh, I'm not thinking it would have worked, right? I mean, him and Vader, that could have been great. Could have been, yeah. Um, that uh, I'd have loved to see uh, Funk versus Steamer at this time. Because, I mean, well, I mean, Steamboat's been on fire uh, in this right. one. Yeah, that had so, been good, too. Uh, that angle with Eric Watts and Arn Anderson, where Watts put Anderson in the STF at the gas station, was pretty bad. Great idea, but it involved <laughs> the wrong people. We talked a bit about that last time, didn't we? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, <sighs> and, and no Arn on this show, too. Yeah, Arn's been gone for a while, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, it just sort of been wasted away in the Watts uh, yeah. angle. I believe the report that Van Hammer had a hernia was incorrect, although he did have surgery last week and was out of action. So <laughs> all the important news here. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as, as we'll see with this show, there's a new rock star in town. So <laughs> <laughs> well, move over, Van Hammer. 
while the differences are said not to be irreconcilable, Medusa is now gone. Basic problem is that the difference between the old contracts and the new contracts when it came to medical coverage being removed and the percentage of the money being held back until the review period. Medusa wanted to be more aggressively marketed, which I guess the company didn't want to focus on her strongly in that way. So she's gone too. Um, Dangerous Alliance just being completely devastated here by the the late Bill, late era Bill Watts. He's just getting rid of everyone, isn't he? Um, Yeah, they were done. More talk of Eddie Gilbert coming in. Nothing is confirmed other than the name has been talked about in more serious tones than in a long time. Diamond Dallas Page is out of action. Good God. Um, (laughs) Torn rotator cuff, which is why Vidi Vegas is being pushed as a single star. There have been rumors of Page going to Smoky Mountain, but haven't uh, heard confirmation yet. Um, Jim Ross reported on the 900 number that Davey Boy Smith... Uh, could be coming in on a deal and it's going to be closed within this week our reports are that smith will debut uh february the 16th apparently wwf has sent smith a letter saying that he can't use the name british bulldog or debut voice smith until october well, what's he uh he does come in doesn't he what's yeah, he, he does uh no british bulldog he's called davy boy smith isn't he right right they can't so, stop him uh, using his actual name, surely. No. <laughs> well, they, yeah, I mean, sometimes they trademark, but yeah, um, but yeah no British Bulldog uh, during his tenure in WCW. Bill Watson wrote a five-page letter to all talent two weeks back. He made some good points, such as, I didn't get my wake-up call from the front desk at the hotel, not being a valid excuse for missing flight connections <laughs> and thus missing bookings, and talked about heavily fining wrestlers who used that excuse and missed the Char- Charlotte card uh, on December the 27th. It does feel like a kind of school teacher dealing with a bunch of kids, isn't it? Um, sure. On the other hand, Watts continued his harangue uh, blaming guaranteed contracts for all the problems in the business which don't hold water based on applied practices within the industry both currently and over the past few years. In addition, he quoted NFL parallels once again which held no water because his statements about NFL contracts once again were factually incorrect and even if they were correct, the NFL and pro wrestling aren't the same thing. The most blatant statement that he's repeated often and continues to hold no water is that the NFL attempted guaranteed contracts to high draft choices way back in the 60s and found them to be an expensive failure. A lot of teams ended up with number one picks that rode the bench and collected big bucks. They don't do that anymore. In reality, it's now the 90s and the number one picks in the NFL draft still get huge signing contracts, many times larger, even adjusting for inflation to the contracts from the 60s. He also said that football, baseball and basketball are all entering a crisis situation, declining attendance, declining TV ratings, declining revenue, apathetic self-serving athletes and free agency and predicted that the current situation to self-destruct the system in those sports. Well, that's proved wrong, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, well, for football, but maybe not for the other two. Uh, I was, I was basketball and base- baseballs. In uh, the ba- so. Yeah, basketball's trending up. Um, I mean, baseball still does fine. It's not. It doesn't have the stronghold that it has. I mean, NFL's replaced Major League Baseball, but uh, and, you know, it's it's certainly not on the verge of collapsing or anything. Um, that's what we were all told in the sixties and seventies. If free agency were to exist and players would have freedom of movement, yet in yeah. both baseball and basketball, the period following free agency turned into the period of the greatest revenue and popularity increases. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, any views on this most important of topics? Because Meltzer clearly has a stance here. Yeah, I mean they—it's something they do. Uh, 
workaround with the new collective bargaining agreements for all the major sports. Um, and NFL actually just changed that about five years ago with that number one draft pick thing where they weren't given as much guaranteed uh, money up front. That was a big change. Um, so it's something they're evolving to a degree. But, yeah, I think Watts kind of uses that as his crutch of his argument is really overstated. Like, like it's not... That's not the re, you know, he, he kind of predicts gloom and doom that hasn't happened and uh, just feels like he's trying to prove his point with unfactual data. I mean, the, the thing I can't, I mean, coming from uh, the UK, of course, we've got the football, uh, you know, soccer, as you guys would say, and the money is just insane in football. Like, you know, guys get, like, Yaya Torre, uh, he was getting, what, 250, 300 grand a week for Manchester City. Um, and they've, tr- I mean, they've been talking about this for years. I don't think it's, I don't think it's led any of these things to decline. If anything, the money keeps on going up in these things. Yeah, I mean, NFL ratings and stuff, everything keeps trending up. But yeah, I mean, like uh, baseball players. I mean, there's some baseball players that get twenty five million dollars a year. Um, which, if you do that by 162 games in a season, you know that's 154 thousand dollars a game. So they're yeah. they're certainly being paid well. Okay, well, I mean, you can see what you're saying. Like, if you've got a guaranteed contract, what's the point of putting in any effort? You're going to get paid no matter what, right? That's yeah, his, that's his that's, idea. That's you know? sort of the, I mean, that's a. Uh, I would say that's an old kind of standard of, you know, if you can't dangle any carrot in front of a worker, they're not going to be motivated. Um, And it's been proven that there's other ways to motivate. I mean, money is not – historical studies have shown that money is actually not that high of a motivator for individuals to one degree or another. It's not as high as others or that you might think. I I think it's safe to say that Bill Watts was – pretty far right republican uh in, in his uh in his in his views on most things and uh in fact is this bill what's around is he still alive yeah he is, he is isn't he um yeah. I, i'm surprised that he hasn't come out and made a statement about old uh donald trump donald. because uh, i mean if anybody was going to support him surely it would be bill watts wouldn't it <laughs> I, I used to love uh, listening to bill watts you know those uh like long form interviews he did they were like hypnotic when he just you know going on did his he do, uh did he do the stuff on 57 gold or whatever i think it was 57 talk.com yeah 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 but they were like amazing those things though uh i mean i may need to listen to them again because um it's just uh like he just goes on these wild rants about all sorts of things um and there's a hint of it in his narrative there about things going to the every all the major sports going to the dogs there um anyway uh, they, they've returned to Detroit after a few years and drew $23,000 in uh, January the 16th, Main, which doesn't sound a lot, really. No. Uh, main event was supposed to be Wyndham and Cactus versus Sting and Rhodes in a street fight. However, with Cactus's turn, he came out with the faces and Pillman, um, Wyndham bought out Pillman and Austin, who'd already worked underneath uh, that night. Center stage tapings are going to be moved to Tuesday nights from Mondays. Nothing definite regarding Sid Vicious, other than there have been conversations. He does come in, doesn't he? Um, uh, yeah, he should be in pretty soon. Um, yes, and then Bob Dew and Bill Shaw have definitely gotten more involved in day-to-day operations of the company. Well, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Um, 
Dew is serving more as an administrator now than at any time since he uh, took over of uh, control of the company, leaving Bill Watts to concentrate more on the wrestling product. And um, there were lots of Sting and Cactus Jack versus Vader and Orndorff main events on the house shows um, in the next few weeks. So quite a lot going on there. Now we go over to, I think, uh, February the 8th newsletter um, from 93. And um, what else has happened here? Andre the Giant sadly died. So there's one of uh, Meltzer's amazing bios here. And this was sort of like the catalyst for a lot of those. Um, Yeah, now this is in that book, isn't it? That uh, the tributes, yeah, the tributes book. I remember reading that. Yeah, I, w- I would say this one and the uh, the this one is one of the ones where he really started to go kind of long form with those. Look at that! I even bought Melter's book, and he still hasn't given me a ballot. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> <only joking. laughs> um, Hold on, I'm, I'm, my God, I'm uh, I'm 14 pages into this, and it, it's still Andre. Yeah, yeah, like I said, he. Uh, this was one of the ones where, you know, it kind of set the template for the obituaries that he's, you know, kind of morbidly known for now. Anyway, back to WCW land. Um, I mean, Andre, a true, a true great, of course. Um, WCW will have its first uh, steroid test on February the fifteenth. Hopefully, everything will be handled fairly, and the the guys weren't told about any testing. Um, and there are many drugs that stay in the system longer than two weeks. So there we go. Um, and I mean, who, who would be in danger there on the WCW roster? Rude, probably, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orndorff. Zank. <laughs> Even, <laughs> you know, Sting's pretty built. Um, uh, John, I, I, I mean, it's so tough to say. I mean, it, it, well, at this point, maybe there wasn't as many guys using them because of the steroid trial in WWE land, but um, it's possible. I mean, I, I, when I think of most of the roster, like Wyndham's doesn't seem like he's on the juice, Steamboat wasn't, I, I'd imagine, because uh, you know, like Steamboat's lean at this period, isn't it? He's not like the kind of he man figure that he was in the early 80s. Dustin doesn't look like very juiced up to me, so. Yeah, it's just tough to say, though. I mean, because, like, somebody like Flair, I mean, he's not that muscular, but, I mean. They all took, I mean, even, like, Arn. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, Arn is not steroid, but, yeah. Okay, Johnny B. Bad's WCW contract expires in a few weeks. Uh, Bad was on a $156,000 guarantee for a one-year deal. So there's a bit of context for you, Chad. Bad, 156K. Cornette was on 225 and Heyman was on 200. So about fair? Yeah, that seems about right to me. Um, and he was offered a $350 guaranteed plus $150 potential bonus money per event with a 200 event guarantee. So that's what's his offer. You're on 156K guaranteed, but instead you can get £350 uh, per show plus a potential bonus of $150 on top of that on 200, uh, on 200 uh, events. So how does that work out? You're, you're the accountant here. Yeah, basically as a, he, it's, it's an incentive type thing where he's at a set rate per show, but then if he reaches 
200 uh, events a year. So basically, if he doesn't get hurt, I mean, that's that's what they tried to negotiate because he's had some injury stuff. Um, so they don't want him to get hurt. Well, I've just so, worked that out, and that's 70 grand. So that's basically hard. So what, what was the what was the numbers again? 156k guarantee. Okay. All right, 350 dollars per show for 200 dates guaranteed. Right. With a with a potential 150 dollar bonus on top of that per event if he makes the bonus. So that would be if he made it, it'd be 500 a show, which is still only 100 grand. So yeah, why would he not do the 156k guarantee? I mean, he's basically being ripped off by what's there. It's not hard to, <laughs> you know, with basic back of the, you know. I mean, uh, that's kind of like a sports contract too, though, because we see that a lot here, where like if you hit so many home runs, you know, you get um, yeah incentives and stuff like that. Uh, if I was bad, I'd just be worried about getting injured because now what say. Like bad in '92, like 156k sounds all a good bit, but I mean, it still sounds too much. Yeah, I would say like before, like just thinking of Johnny B. Bad's career as a whole compared to Cornette and Dangerously, it's like that's not that bad. But yeah, I mean, Bad was a rookie, so yeah. a rookie being coming in and making 156k in like '91. I, I think he did very well for himself. Yeah, that, that seems a little ridiculous, and I guess uh, somebody like Dangerously should be making more than 50,000, more than bad. You see, I do sympathize with Watts here. He's clearly come into a situation. It's like, he's probably looked at the books, and he was like, what the hell are you guys doing? Right. Why have you given bad this contract? And he's like, it's difficult once contracts are already signed to then, to then make the guy you know, be paid what he's worth, which is basically half of it and per show instead of guaranteed. So I understand what Watts was doing. I don't blame him really for the, for this sort of stuff. Um, he's in a tough situation there. Anyway, Dallas, Diamond Dallas Page's contract also expired um, and he was offered $300 a night with no guarantee as far as the number of dates. <laughs> Page turned it down because the job offers no way of knowing how much you'll earn with at least a number of dates guaranteed. Page is out with an injury and rumor has it he will approach Smoky Mountain when he's healed up. Well, my recommendation is just to give up and go back to the club, Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rumors of him and Smoky Mountain. Um, yeah. Well, that would have been interesting. He, he sticks around, doesn't he? he, he... Oh, yeah. He, he hangs out till the uh, pretty much to the, well, to the bitter end. So, yeah, he's in it. I don't know what they ended up giving him, but he stuck it out. <laughs> more, uh, more maneuverings here. Bob Dew and Bill Shaw are taking a more hands-on approach, he says again. Expect some noticeable changes over the next few weeks. A lot of them may be big changes. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Ron Lemieux has folded the uh, Arena Report newsletter due to the upcoming birth of his second child. So the Arena Report newsletter, not one on, not one that I've ever read. No, nope, me either. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were really dwindling around this point because this is, uh, I think, Matt Watch was done too. So it's it's really Dave and Wade right now. Terry Funk got himself a part in an upcoming uh, st- slice low movie called Demolition, which starts filming this week. So I guess Funk isn't coming in because he's uh, being a movie star instead. You know, Funk's film career is always a strange thing to me. It's like he cropped up in all of these uh, films with the Sliced Alone collection, uh, connection. So, um, 
Then Meltzer says he got a kick out of the White Castle video. Certainly well produced, <laughs> although the last impression was all that for a strap match. Right. Um, well, that's a little unfair, right? I mean... Now, at what point do you want to talk about this? Because I know... Uh, yeah, I mean, they don't show it during the show. We only get to see these weird little snippets throughout the show. Um, do you want to talk about White Castle of Fear? I, I guess yeah, it's I mean, when, bit, when people see this is a Super Bowl, they, I guess they'll expect us to talk about this. It's iconic. Um, it's certainly an iconic thing. I, I'd still say Beach Blast is the most iconic of them all. Uh, but, the one but, said, isn't it? Yeah, with the yeah. boat exploding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so basically, this is the same gist as spin the wheel, make the deal, and that as well. Where uh, I mean, Vader's at his White Castle affair. He's wearing his big robe. We get Cheatham the midget uh, again. A lot of uh, a lot of overproduction here. Um, the the thing I like about this one is the strap at the very end where you have race like bickering with Sting, like, are you afraid Sting? <laughs> you know, in his voice, like, take the white castle of fear. And then Vader and Sting uh, are over like this medieval looking feast table that Vader turns over all the food and stuff. And then like magic, a strap appears and the strap is like, I don't even know what what you would say. It's like uh, electrocuted or something because it's like fire starts as they're both tugging on the strap with the techno music. It's uh, it's it's pretty bad. And then you have the uh, Cheeto with his eye patch chanting Vader, Vader, Vader <laughs> over the music <laughs> with Harley Race laughing. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, I, th- I think most people have watched it right if they're if they're aware of this show but it's well if they haven't i mean come on what are you doing yeah there? yeah i mean it's, it's wcw uh 1993 i did like the mountain shot like i mean i guess vader just i mean yeah he's built from the rocky mountains but i i mean it does look like vader just lives in a cave with a uh, harley race and these scantily clad women who are those women in the smoke yeah just just <laughs> vader's uh vader's girls i guess i don't know it's kind of weird Okay. Um, yeah. So I, mean, I don't have a lot to say. That hasn't been said before. I think it's just a, highly entertaining. I would say. Right. Um, sure. Do, do you actually think the Sting actually? I mean, it's, it's cheesy, but he comes across as reasonably cool in his shades and stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. He, in this one, he's wearing a, like a blue jumpsuit, which I mean, it looks 1990s, but in 1993, it probably wasn't that uncool. So. It's not, I mean, it's just overproduced. It's so cheesy that you can't, you you can't really take it serious. That's the problem. Oh, I've just seen some very devastating news, Chad, in this newsletter here. Joe McHugh, former TV uh, ring announcer for the WWF um, in the early 80s when they taped out Valentine, passed away on January the 31st at the Sacred Town Heart Hospital in Allentown. McKee was 88, the oldest active ring announcer in the country, announcing boxing matches uh, matches going back to the days of Jack Dempsey. McKee was famous for his distinctive announcing style at the beginning of each hour um, of taping, ending with a line, and my name is Joe McHugh. Joe McHugh. (laughs) So uh, he's a bit of a Titans legend, and um, 
that was my fate that was my uh, proudest moment as the dj part of chad uh doing my <laughs> name is joe McHugh over the slim shady thing i thought that was quite <laughs> oh boy <laughs> um so uh what else happens here um Dustin Rhodes versus Barry Windham was the top match on the A-team house shows for WCW this past week. B-team house shows are doing 500 to 600 people per night. The A-team did between 1,800 and 2,200 over the weekend. Not not great crowds. Not uh, great, but at least not in the hundreds. And we have no, I, I feel like they're up a little bit, the house show business right, around this right. time. Simmons may uh, take some time off uh, for a shoulder injury. The rotator cuff injury they talked about before Starcade has some legitimacy to it, but he's working with it. So there we go. Um, what else? Um, well, <laughs> you mentioned the honky tonk man. I, I noticed that he just joined USWA and then left again before <laughs> before even yeah. appearing. Yeah, that was a great angle where they say he's coming in and then he never does. <laughs> Um, so that's pretty much it from, uh, that one. So now going on to February the 15th. Okay. We're expecting a major bloodletting at world championship wrestling, uh, which took place in the meeting on February the 2nd, resulting in a significant changing in the corporate hierarchy, including loss of power for both Bill Watts and more particularly Jim Ross. Yeah. Uh, Bill Shaw and Bob Dew were put in charge of the company nearly one year ago from the now-retired Jack Petrick. Boo. Um, they have <laughs> taken more a more hands-on approach in recent weeks rather than leaving much of the decision-making to Watts. They divided the company into three categories. Now, now look at this for corporate uh, planning, Chad. Okay, Paper, The pay-per-view division, headed by Sharon Sadello. The television division headed by an as-yet-unnamed individual who is expected mm-hmm. to be named this week, and the wrestling product division headed by Watts. Now, what do you think of this planning here? Sidello? I don't know. who Sidello and the t- uh, television division head will uh, each be executive producers of WCW, um, who will have final say-so on all matters related to their own divisions, including their matches that air on television and on pay-per-views. Now, t- to me, just knowing... A tiny bit about wrestling as I do, Chad. I think this is an awful, awful idea. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, pretty awful structure because, I mean, you have so much crossover. Like, if you're over the wrestling talent, but you can't have any say-so of TV or pay-per-view, then, you know, what do you really control? The house shows, but those are being dictated for you by, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, either you're doing your own thing, so you're running, like, parallel promotions within the same promotion, yeah. or you're basically at the mercy of whatever the TV and pay-per-view people decide as the program's going forward. Just just, uh, just shows absolutely no understanding of wrestling. Yeah, th- I mean, this whole situation shows, like, I mean, on one hand, it's like it's great to have such a corporate, you know, stronghold like Turner owning a wrestling company because you feel so financially secure to a degree. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like if you have these executives like do and Shaw that come in and try to take over a division, which happens a lot and diversified companies, um, it, it, it could be very tough because they don't really understand how the, that particular facet of the business works. And, 
they just don't get the overall picture. And I think that's what you're seeing here with this structure. Who the hell is Sharon Sidello anyway? I don't know. I, when you said that name, I was like, I don't know if I should know her or not, but I don't. Anyway, so for and, this... and I mean, what would her role be? Because again, I mean, you're not going to put something on pay per view that's not folded out on TV. Yeah, just I, I mean, stick. unless it's just to negotiate with like Viewers Choice and the pay per view providers. <laughs> Imagine having some corporate suit called Sharon Sadello deciding what your pay per view matches are going to be. Right, it's absolutely it's insane. Inside. Anyway, um, so the people going up for this uh, executive producer of TV role are okay. This is the the shortlist: Keith Mitchell, okay, David Crockett, yep. He's got my support. Uh, <laughs> Tony Schiavone. Yeah. Also got my support. Right. Eric Bischoff. Right. Boo. Um, and or somebody not currently working in the company. So speculation within the company over the weekend is that either Mitchell or Bischoff has the best uh, shot at the position. In addition, the largest booking committee in recorded history was put together to decide storylines and decide who gets pushed. Did they never learn their lesson? I mean... They had the awful booking committee in 1990, and it was a disaster. So why why are they still pushing the booking committee idea? Very strange. Um, the corporate, the official corporate ladder shows Shaw at the top as WCW president. Underneath him, answering uh, to Shaw, are Dew, Sidello, the new ex- the, the new executive producer of pay per views, and Rob Garner, who will head the syndication division. Oh God. Oh, God. <laughs> Answering to do will be Watts, Brian Mitchells, who is the comptroller, and Dusty Rhodes, the head booker. Jim Bonnet, Jim Ross, and Tim Willett, uh, who was recently hired from Titan, will work, will work underneath Garner, while the announcers and the television show producers, that is Shivani, Bischoff, Keith Mitchell, and Greg Garnier, they will answer to this new executive producer. The event coordinators, that is local promoters, will report directly to Sidello. So you've got like a situation now where like Gary Juster, for example, is probably reporting into Sidello. This is just is just so bizarre, my way of thinking. Um, Jim Ross, whose official title had been vice president in charge of the television, took the biggest fall of anyone. Ross will be removed as a personality from all TVS shows effective from March 1st and will no longer be part of the announcing team on the clashes and the pay-per-views. Uh, with his final d- uh, major assignments being the February 21st uh, Super Bowl show from Asheville and the March um, <laughs> the March 7th pay-per-view date uh, for the January 4th Tokyo Dome card. Ross has been the lead announcer on every clash since the series began in 1988 and he's been part of the announcing team for every pay-per-view in company history in addition to being voted announcer of the year in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter by a wide margin in the past five years. Brackets, he's also a massive mate of mine. <laughs> um, he doesn't really say that, but uh, obviously Meltzer loves Jim Ross, doesn't he? Um, most sources seem to believe that Watts and Ross took tremendous heat from management because of criticism that all television shows continue to have a similar look. The, the decision to replace Ross as lead announcer and in fact eliminate him from all TBS broadcast appears to be related to his falling star in the front office. When the two different promotions uh, should have probably been judged on each each's individual merit rather than collectively. I suppose those who took a look at wrestling, um, a wrestling show like the 6pm news may knock Ross because of his accent or because he didn't look like Bischoff. 
Uh, but that would be missing the point that the stars of a wrestling show are supposed to be the performers. The announcer is not akin to a news anchorman, and unless Shivani, and in particular Bischoff, are as adept at announcing wrestling matches and getting their points that need to be gotten across to the audience better, this decision makes little sense. Uh, Shivani does come across as less offensive than Ross to those who don't like Ross, and there is an argument that can be made that he would be a better fit as number one, which he occupied on TBS from 85 to 89. Ross rubbed uh, some people up the wrong way with uh, many what many felt was excessive self-promotion on television. But it appears his being replaced has more to do with upper management unhappiness regarding the similar looks to all shows. So a highly political situation here in the toxic uh, hierarchy of WCW, uh, Chad. Correct decision to get rid of Ross. I mean, we've been hard on him on this show. but We've been hard on him. He felt pretty played out. Um a change there I don't think was the worst thing. Um, it's just uh, interesting. I mean, he took a huge fall, right? I mean, this is a, a, a complete dismantling. Um, essentially firing him without firing him. He's basically I mean, giving you know, him no, no, no options other than to quit, right, basically. Right, right. That's all this is. So basically what's going to happen uh, now in this reshuffle with Ross being taken off TV completely, Eric Bischoff's role expanded. Um, uh, what else is happening here? So Ross's name was listed with Jesse Ventura as the host of Worldwide. But I'm told this is far from definite um, and it's only a trial run. Shivani and Zabisco will become the hosts of WCW Saturday Night. Shivani and Ventura will become the lead announcers on Clashes and Pay-Per-Views. Eric Bischoff and Michael Hayes will take over on the Saturday, uh, the Sunday main event show um, with announcing the assignments for Pro and Power Hour yet to be officially announced. I mean, is Soli still knocking around back there? Uh, Lance? I thought he was... He's still around, isn't he? I think he was around, yeah. Soli was still hanging out, so I don't know what the deal was. Okay, so get a load of who's on this uh, committee now, Chad, okay? Officially on the committee are Bill Watts, Dusty Rhodes... Greg Garnier, Bill Dundee, Jim Barnett, Keith Mitchell, Ole Anderson, Jim Ross, Larry Zabisco, Sharon Seidello, Mike Graham, Eric Bischoff, and Michael Hayes. Or about that as a booking committee. It's ridiculous. In addition, it is expected if the Ric Flair deal doesn't uh, fall through, that Flair himself will be added to the committee. Sid Vicious was also promised a slot on the committee. Should he sign with the committee? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Vicious and WCW officials have spoken numerous times, uh, although no deal has uh, been reached as far as we know. And you get a load of this Meltzer comedy from 1993. No word as of yet if Lord Littlebrook, Eddie Gilbert, Cowboy Bradley, Happy, Grumpy or Dopey. <laughs> sleepy sneezy dancer prancer or anyone else's promise a spot if they were it would come in as well so there we go um of course on this uh melter says this is a recipe for total chaos in a company in which chaos not only championship has been the real c in wcw name since its inception and i i mean we've looked at this chad and it's difficult to disagree really i mean this is just stupid isn't it all of this oh stuff. yeah just a complete uh a complete disaster i mean really was and it it almost seems like with the 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 bad things that watts has provided like seeing this gear shift almost makes you think well i mean he was more on the right track than this you know like like maybe they should have gave him a chance 
So, so here's Meltzer's kind of take on this. He says, in my opinion, for a wrestling company to have a true sense of direction, it needs one person who knows exactly where he's taking the product long term and has a focused idea of how to get there. And then he goes on and on. Um, do you agree with that? There has to be one boss, one guy in charge. Um, oh. Yeah, well, I, th- I think one driving vision is certainly optimal um, for overall success, as we've seen. I mean, as we're kind of seeing now with uh, WWE with two two uh, visions being portrayed in our uh, TV screen. Who, who are those figures, uh, Chad? Just remind me. Triple H and Vince uh, still. H and Vince. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Two different visions of wrestling. Yeah, sort of jockeying uh, it out um, and to varying success. So from almost all accounts, Hulk Hogan will be returning to the ring after one year absence at WrestleMania. Well, she's got this one wrong. Oh, no, no. He is coming yeah. in. It's, it's oh, yeah. This oh, is, yeah. This is Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> yes, sir. against uh, Teddy Biasi and IRS. Yeah, Brutus oh, is about God. to uh, cut that promo where somebody yells, go kill yourself halfway through it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, what, just one thing I'll say quickly about uh, uh, this uh, thing. I still love the shot the IRS gives Briefcake. I mean, he really whacked him with that beefcake, uh, with that briefcase in it. With like, Jimmy Hart covers it with the jack. You know, when that, it's that gold briefcase, it spins like on its side. When I was a kid at this time, as I told you before, Chad, I had a briefcase and I really loved trying to re- recreate that moment, trying to get it to spin in that way. So uh, there we go. Um, what else? Um, what may have been a, a hang up involving Ric Flair coming to WCW surface the past week? Um, Confirmed by Jim Ross on the 900 line. I mean, I guess at this time, Jim Ross must have been just straight shooting on that 900 line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's been basically <laughs> maneuvered out of every possible uh, role on the company. He's still got the 900 line. Um, uh, so anyway, there's a, a bit of a question mark over where the uh, flare comes in. Um, and Luger um, is in a bit of legal wranglings as well. Because his contract with WCW doesn't officially expire until March the 1st, 93. Uh, so, it, uh, anyway, th- there's some dispute here about him being part of the WBF. And um, then WCW VP Kip Fry f- filed a suit against Luger, which prevented him from appearing on any wrestling telegraphs until March the 1st. Um, so, there's a bit of like. You know, because he appears in those interviews with Heenan, doesn't he? Right. Well, he does the stuff at WrestleMania at 8, and then you really don't see him much until uh, Royal Rumble 93. Yeah, but uh, I think the problem is is that that was in January before the March the 1st thing, so they probably had a stern, you know, warning from the lawyers there. Uh, yeah, because he doesn't do a whole lot, if I remember, until he's with the program with Perfect at Mania, so... Yeah, and that's just a couple of weeks beforehand, I believe. Right. Um, okay, so if that isn't enough news, there's still my totally this is a bumper crop uh, this week, uh, Chad. Obviously, with Bill Watts, uh, you know, going. Um, this is February the 22nd. Bill Watts has resigned as vice president of wrestling operations for the yeah, World no Championship Wrestling. I mean, God, I would have resigned too. Um, sure. Um, in a meeting of WCW department heads on February the 12th, it was announced that Ole Anderson uh, would take Watts' position and that Eric Bischoff was named as executive producer for all of WCW television. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we could talk about this, but, 
I mean, how do you think Eric got the job? Like, do you think it was just a new face? He, he might. I think he was probably able to pitch some decent ideas. But um, but my my thought is that with Shivani kind of being more of a wrestling guy or like more of a kind of journalist, I guess, and. Uh, who else was in the running? Mitchell, da- David Crockett, being David Crockett, guy. Yep, yep. I'd imagine that Bischoff, with his little bit of corporate experience, would just know how to do that pitch to hit the bullet points in a way that the likes of Shaw and Dew and Sidello and whoever else would be able to understand it. Right. Um, he probably just came across better in the interview presentation, I reckon. Um, and he probably looked younger. So they thought, well, we want to go with him as the new direction type thing. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to see because, I mean, he certainly looks more slick than Tony or uh, or David Crockett. Yeah, just to able to talk the same language, I reckon, as the, as the hierarchy there. Um, and, you know, I guess a really significant, in the history of wrestling, now we can look at that as a really significant appointment. Yeah, that's a pivotal moment. I mean, because... I don't, I mean, Tony, I think it's fascinating in that role because I don't know. I think Tony has a good mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tony, given that much responsibility, honestly, it may have been a little bit in over his head to a degree. Um, I can see that as an argument. Uh, but but it's interesting to say because, I mean, with Bischoff, of course, you get the good and the bad, which we'll cover over the years. Well, I mean, j- just in passing, I think the biggest change, the biggest difference between those two is that my impression with Tony, as we hit on with the show, is that he really is an NWA, WCW guy, you know, not just as a job, he does seem to love it. Like, he comes alive when he talks about Harley Race and, you know, uh, like Greensboro and stuff like that. You you can tell he loves it. It's in his his DNA. Whereas Eric Bischoff seems to me like a, basically just like a WF fanboy, basically, you know. No love for the history of the product, uh, the history of NWA, etc. Um, I don't think from Bischoff doesn't seem like a like a wrestling guy in that way. So I, I think it would have been interesting to see how Shivani would have. I I can't imagine Shivani de-emphasizing Flair to the extent that Bischoff did later. Right? On. Yeah. I mean, it's like a business versus passion argument where. Yeah. Bischoff saw it strictly as a business, and for Tony, it was a passion of the wrestling he grew up with. So, so anyway, let's with the resignation of Watts. That is so. The, this is the corporate hierarchy now, with all of the people in place. Bill Shaw is the president. Bob Dew is the executive vice president, and then reporting into him are the four department heads: Sharon Sidello heading up the pay per view section. What the hell? Uh, Eric, <laughs> Eric Bischoff uh, heading up the TV. Uh, Ole Anderson heading up the house shows and the wrestling personnel. And then Rob Garner heading up syndication. So there's at least two people. There's at least four people in the pay packet who don't need to be there, really. Um, so there we go. Uh, Watts' resignation, resignation was largely expected by most in the company to be imminent after the restructuring was announced and his power diluted. The official company statement was Turner Broadcasting does not, by policy, comment on personnel matters. Uh, one thing I want to touch on here, Chad, is that um, if you look at that hierarchy, it seems that Ole Anderson has got like a job with as much power as Bischoff has. Like, it, this isn't Bischoff getting Bill Watts' no. job. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, as of right now, Bischoff is only over TV. Um, as we'll progress in the year, we'll see when he becomes what Watts was and has total control. But yeah, as of like February, he just is over TV. But he gains uh, pretty much the the uh, reins to run the company in a few months. Okay. Um, what's in a torch interview was stated, if you own a business, you put the money in. Uh, why shouldn't you be able to discriminate? It's your business. It's free enterprise. It's going to make or break. You shouldn't be able to discriminate. It's your business. It should be that. By God, if we're going to open your doors in America, you can discriminate. Why the F not? That's why I went into business so that I could discriminate. I mean, really, I mean, really, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Christ. Um, he says, I mean, I want to be able to serve who I want to. It's my business. It's my investment. So they come in and I uh, say, no, I can't tell a fag to get the F out. I should have uh, I should have the right not to associate with a fag if I don't want to. Um, I should have the right not to fire a fag if I want, don't want to. I mean, why should I have to hire a effing fag if I don't like fags? Fags discriminate against us, don't they? Um, I mean, holy shit. Uh, yeah, so so a little background. This is a torch talk he did. Um, he's telling all this to Wade Keller, who is gay. Yeah. Um, it wasn't uh, out at that time, but yeah, so it's it's just, you know, this was the torch talk that he did that became the linchpin where whatever, Mark Madden or whomever uh, made Turner really aware of this and specifically Hank Aaron. And then that sort of really was the final straw to uh, yeah. supersede his downfall. I mean, he made remarks about Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany right. uh, there. I mean, he, he kept on going. Um, sure they do. Do blacks disc- discriminate against whites? Who's killed more blacks than anyone? The effing blacks? They, I mean, it just, just keeps on going on and on. I mean, you can read this for you. I won't read it all. The, uh, the audio is even better. I mean, if you do want to subscribe to uh, VIP at PW Torch, you can get the audio oh. of it. And it's just... You, I mean, you can hear Wade kind of going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the back, it's, it's a really... Uh, enlightening and both uncomfortable uh, moment. Yeah, so I mean that's a flat-out kind of tirade by uh, Watts uh, there. Um, so, yep, um, the resignation of Watts seemingly ends the talent trading cooperation with Smoky Mountain. Watts has attempted to uh, book a limited amount of house show dates in the SMW territory. There were plans for a limited amount of talent trading between the two groups. Uh, from all accounts, the Rock and Roll Express versus Heavenly Bodies matchup um, on the upcoming pay-per-view will spend the end of any talent trading between the two offices. And um, SNW then goes to WWF, don't they? They have a right. new... Yep, that's it. Um, so, I mean, there's lots, and I mean, they go into this in Inside Out, and I, I imagine um, they that they went over this on, on, on other shows that have covered um, Bill Watts uh, and his resignation, but... There's a full breakdown of business under uh, Watts by Meltzer here. Um, so this is from June 92 to February 93. Um, and basically average attendance was down 2.7%. Um, average house prices were down 27.2%. You, television ratings were down 19%. Average clash ratings were down 19%. 
average pay-per-view buy rates were down 40%. Um, so, and the overall measurable interest uh, uh, level decline during the Watts era was 21.9%. So, financially, a disaster, I guess. Sure. Uh, in term, but I get I'm, what he doesn't talk about here. I'm guessing he gets onto it later. Is how much, how many costs did he cut during during that time? Um, because it's not just the it's not just what they would draw him, it's the, what the bottom line is, right? What's the profit? Right, right, yeah. What the uh, debt-to-equity ratio was, yep. Yep. Okay. So, to just uh, quickly, Chad, you, you you glad to see the back of Bill Watts? Or, I mean... Yeah, I mean, so this is the end of the area. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. It's really, I mean, this really dominated the newsletters around this time, as we've seen, and... Uh, I mean, really, up to the steroid trial, this was one of the biggest uh, emphasis of, uh, I mean, it, it kind of seems like the end of a territory holdout from the 80s, you know, with him crashing and burning in the 90s environment and with two major promotions uh, dominating wrestling to a degree. Um I, I think he, I, as as I've reiterated, I think he had some good ideas. He was brought in in a tough situation. He certainly didn't handle it well. He handled it in his Bill Watts way, uh, where there's a lot of bad uh, to go with the minimal amount of good that he did. So, so getting on now, Chad. The March the first ninety three. There's another huge death. It's Kerry Von Erich uh, with another massive uh, bio bio uh, here. Um, so Kerry is gone. Uh, so I mean, a lot of deaths, uh, in the early part of 93, um, right. in the wrestling world, a little bit like th- this past year, 2016, which has seen a lot of huge figures in wrestling and indeed in the world in general, uh, pass. Um, anything else? Let's have a look. Um, so, <laughs> Here we go. Things have started to get messy already because Larry Zabisco has quit the WCW booking committee. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? Oh, man. Uh, Johnny Gunn and the Wrecking Crew appear to be out of their way. Uh, mm. they, they, they're on the way out of WCW. That's sad. Sid Vicious was scheduled for a meeting with Ollie Anderson uh, the, later this week to try to complete a deal. So, I mean, how does that even work? So he, he meets with Oli and Oli says, well, I can book you for all these house shows, but I don't know about the pay-per-views or the TV. I mean, it's, I it, 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 it's so dumb. That structure's so dumb. Uh, but Johnny B. Bad has a contract meeting with Bill Shaw. What, so, 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 I mean, I just don't understand this. Yeah. What, like, so why is Bad meeting with Shaw, but Sid, clearly a bigger star, is meeting with Oli? <laughs> Who makes sense at all? Um... Looks like the February the 15th uh, steroid trial, um, steroid test fell between the cracks in the Watts to Anderson transition. So yeah. that's uh, fallen by the wayside a little bit. Um, with the new management, Jesse Ventura is now allowed to concentrate on the jokes rather than the move by move. <laughs> Watts wanted him to cut the comedy and concentrate on the matches. Also with Watts gone, that means the mats have returned to ringside. Good move that Jesse's allowed to tell jokes again. Um, I mean, I don't, it didn't seem like he really cut down that much on that during the Watts era, right? I mean, I mean, Jesse's going to be Jesse on commentary. I mean, we've established that you either adapt and play with him and play off of him or, 
it becomes an awkward, bad situation like we saw with Ross. I mean, he's not really going to dramatically change his announce style for anybody. The Eric Watts push has obviously slowed down. <laughs> yeah, that's not a surprise. <laughs> he lost to Vinny Vegas on February the 19th in Jacksonville. Um, so there we go. Um, and um, that brings us right up now to the Miach the 8th. Uh, that is when the final poll results are in and we get the review. So let's take a quick break, Chad. I think that was a pretty epic uh, opening portion for us. And when we come back, we will review Starcade. Uh, sorry, Starcade. No, <laughs> you can tell how long it's been. I definitely need a break. <laughs> Super Brawl 3. <laughs> This is Parv, and if you're a wrestling fan, you owe it to yourself to listen to the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's PWO PTBN Podcast Network. Our weekly shows include This Week in Wrestling, the most comprehensive available roundup of everything going on in the world of wrestling today with Johnny Sorrow, my man Pete, and his Padawan, Timothy. Between the Sheets with Chris Zellner and David Bickenspan, a really detailed look behind the scenes at a week in wrestling from years gone by. And then there's Letters from Kayfabe with yours truly and a chap called Alan in which we explore the deepest recesses of the WWF universe. On top of all of that, at least once a month you'll get tag teams back again. A special look at all the tag teams from yesteryear with Kelly and Marty Slees, Chris Zellner's exile on Bad Street in which he deep dives on various topics, titans of wrestling, a late night kind of show that focuses on the WWF prior to 1984 and the podcast that started it all here on this feed where the big boys play on which Chad Campbell and I review every NWA and WCW supercard that there was and in the archives be sure to check out a ton of other great shows too including back catalogues that go all the way back to 2010 with such essential listening as Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave, the Old Japan Excite series, At the Garden, Stephen Graham's Pro Wrestling Super Show, and Goodwill Wrestling with my buddy, good old Will from Texas. EWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. All right, well, uh, yes, listen to all those great shows, uh, especially the ones I'm on, which is most of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, anything you want to plug, Chad, before we uh, get going on uh, Super Bowl? Um, I'll, I'll just do, uh, again, the Match of the Week Club on the written side. It's uh, It's been going well. We've kind of been growing week by week, which I've been happy with. Uh, you know, and now we're up to like seven or eight or nine different guys that could be uh, contributing in any given week. So, who's in the crew there? Oh any names man, that we'd know? Uh, Timothy from this week in wrestling. We we got the Godfather Justin Rosero himself to uh, yeah. participate last week. Big draw. There's there's your Hulk Hogan. Yeah, there's, draw, he, yeah. he had to uh, steamroll right in the chat with his uh, gifs and everything. <laughs> so of course. <laughs> Completely takes that over immediately. Uh, we get we got Stephen Graham, um, Campatera. But- <laughs> 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 Sorry, I just have to get in. There. Who else is in? Who else is there? <laughs> 
Oh, but <laughs> God. But the thing, I, I guess the thing I'm most excited about is we got some new voices. Um, we got Tanner T, uh, who used to co-host the We Don't Know Wrestling podcast. We have Lawrence O'Brien, who's uh, co-hosted, used to co-host Pure in the Rough and does a lot of... Uh, done some written work and written reviews so i'm glad to get those guys in and then peter saladino who was uh a blog of doom guy but he's someone he's kind of a man after your own heart part because he's someone that sort of uh, was in scott keith's corner of the uh, wrestling universe didn't have twitter uh and all this stuff but he watches everything like he watches the new japan he watches the noah watches American independence. So, I mean, it's someone that I I think sometimes we think like just the people we interact with on wrestling Twitter are the only people watching this stuff. But here was somebody that, you know, was, was in a different corner of the internet that also has, uh, opinions on the stuff too, and has been watching it. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. He kind of brings a different flavor in that regard. Great. So, I mean, if, if, if Justin's like your Hogan, keeping everyone else down, and Graham's your Ken Patera, I guess all those other guys are like your, your Jericho's and your, and your, and your, yeah. and your uh, you know, your Eddie's and so on. We could, we, could, we could say Justin's The Rock and uh, Graham's Triple H. I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Super Brawl 3. And... Um, so as the show starts, we get um, some footage of Vader whipping Sting and a little bit of a clip of the of the White Castle. Um, sexy Eric Bischoff opens the show. <laughs> Still sexy? Still sexy. Um, he's with Missy, who uh, I, I don't know. She's she definitely seems like she's lost a, little, a good bit of her luster. Right. I, I kinda yeah, she's wearing a very bland dress here. Yeah. Um, not not much spunk tonight. Um so anyway, that they are, um, they are, uh, they've got an announcement, which is that the U.S. title match, which was set to be Dust, uh, Dustin Rhodes taking on Ron Simmons, was that a face versus face match? I, yeah, um, I guess so. Um, kind of uh, weird. That has been changed because Ron Simmons is injured, and so Max Payne is subbing in. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, more on Max Payne yeah, in a second. Yeah. Um, Hyatt then says she's going to get the coup of the century with her interview later. What could that be, I wonder? And now, in the first of many pointless appearances on this show, <laughs> Johnny B. Bad earns his uh, $300 a night or whatever it was. He comes out in a sailor outfit. Oh, boy. He looked like he just came off the gayest cruise ship that ever set sail. Um, I... I... <laughs> What this this outfit is outrageous. It's it's all white with gold trim, um, bedazzled, sparkly. It's it's quite an ensemble. Yep, uh, it certainly is something to see. And um, yeah, th- this was not who Bill Watts was talking about in his rants, though, was it? No, uh, no. But <laughs> because, oh I mean, boy, I, I felt I felt like he started toning it down a bit, but he's like. Back and raging here. Yeah, this this has turned up to a hundred. This appearance tonight. All right, his his dress is a lot more flamboyant than uh, Missy's. As a quick point of comparison, Shivani and Ventura are our commentary team, and Jesse mentions that he debuted at Super Bowl two. 
a snakeskin number for Jesse tonight. Yeah, real solid. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a recycle. I'm sure he wore that before. Oh yeah, he he kind of yeah. It, it sort of is uh, like the leather jacket with the snakeskin. Also, mm, kind of his uh, WCW signature attire. And now we get uh, a rendition of the American oh, national anthem God. by Max Payne. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? <laughs> So, yeah, Max Payne plays the national anthem on his guitar uh, on Norma Jean, as we come to find out. And uh, that is what it was. I did think the pyro after the uh, rendition was actually kind of cool and looked sort of big budget for WCW. He's no Jimi Hendrix. No, yeah, this was not (laughs) a a Woodstock 69 uh, flashback moment for sure. So our first match then is the Hollywood Blondes, uh, now billed as the Hollywood Blondes, taking on Eric Watts, still hanging around, and um, WCW, Rookie of the Year, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Now, when I was a kid, I felt like uh, he was Rookie of the Year for years. <laughs> Just like It seemed like Marcus Bagwell was always the Rookie of the Year. So there we go. Um, did, did Was it Dustin last year? Did they give it to him? I can't remember. Or is that the first time they mentioned who the rookie of the year is? Yeah, I'm not positive on that. Probably should have been Dustin in 92. Before we get to the match, Chad, I mean, I I, I should say that because this is our first uh, pairing of, uh, you know, Ventura Unleashed now as he is with Tony, (laughs) the vast majority of my notes for this show are just quotes from them too. So I'm going to let you get to your review in a second, but... um, this has got one of my all-time favorite moments between those two. Why do they boo every time Eric Watts gets in the ring, Shivani? <laughs> Shivani gets angry. Is that boo or is that woo? You should try listening a bit more closely. Pay attention once in a while. And then there's like a pause. You sure are mouthy this super brawl evening. <laughs> it's just the same. Uh, any thoughts on that? No. Uh, Jesse burying talent to put himself over, like usual. So there you go. What did you make of this uh, rather long match? Oh, yeah. So uh, Austin does the camera motion to start. So he is doing that, the Hollywood Blondes. I thought him and Bagwell, uh, at first, they actually showed some pretty good chemistry and fundamentals with each other. And I thought it was interesting that you could really see like Austin now is more of a ring general. Um, I mean, he was kind of forced to be in this match, but it seems natural. Uh, and he's kind of all of a sudden become a veteran where he was the uh, youngster on the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, I liked that he had a really good elbow to take over Bagwell in the corner. Uh, Watson Bagwell. So, so my problem with this match is I thought the baby faces had way too much offense. Uh, for what it was, I thought Watson Bagwell got um, way too much of a shine. Watts hit a really sloppy drop kick and armbar combo to take over on Pillman. Um, I mean, when when Watts is just strictly on the mat and doing very basic chain wrestling type stuff, he's not atrocious. But when he tries to mix in high spots and anything like that, it gets really shaky really fast. Uh, Blondes finally are able to take over on Bagwell. Uh, Pillman, of course, does his injury fake out, which I like. It's a nice move. 
Um, they they focus on the arm of Watts. Austin slams him on the outside. The rocket launcher misses. When Watts gets his knees up, then Austin gets crotched. Uh, Bagwell with the hot tag, uh, but in a kind of neat finish, Bagwell hits a fisherman suplex with Pillman, uh, but Austin came off the top rope with like a punch and allowed the blondes to win. Pretty big pop, I would say, for the heels winning. Overall, too long of a match um, for what it was. The blondes looked good. Bagwell, I thought, looked competent. Watts was watched, so I went two and a quarter on this one. I thought the match went ridiculously long for what it was. I thought that F, uh, the face in peril sequence on Watts was interminable. God, I just, God, I mean, um, and I thought, well, because of what you said, that basically as soon as Watts has to do anything that isn't mat work, um, like there's not that much you can do to him. No. Like, I think he takes a back suplex at one point, but like, that's about the extent of his bumping ability. So there's not really that much that Austin Pillman can do to him. Much, much too long. Two stars I gave. Um, I think it would have worked better if Bagwell was the face in peril and uh, Watts was the, the hot tag. Probably. Simply, simply just because Bagwell's a better worker. Right. Um, anyway, we get another uh, White Castle of Fiat tease now. Vader's a, kind of in a snow blizzard and he's calling Sting out and Sting is on a plane. Intrigue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eric Bischoff throws to Missy who has the announcement that Ric Flair is back. A white limo pulls up. Hyatt is excited for this scoop. Various different girls uh, come out of the limo. I didn't spot Hanny Berry there, but, uh, you know, uh, or, I was looking. Or Fifi, his uh, error is now wife. <laughs> I don't see her. Yeah, because she does come in at some point. Right, she? yeah, pretty uh, soon. Um, Flair leaves the limo. Um, now, this, this is really weird. I thought this was really poor considering the production values of the white castle of fear the sound seems to be lost and it's like flair just kind of i don't know it's like the the mic missy's mic cuts or she loses it or something because it seems like he just kind of saunters down there to no sound at all yeah and then she Uh, gets shooed away i mean the idea they were going is that she wasn't given access so it's like hansen kicking her out of the locker room or whatever um, but it, it didn't come off well in, um, in execution. We want flare chance, uh, bust around the building in Nashville. And, um, just for those of you who keep on bugging me about this, I'm not sure if I'm even happy about that. It seems a bit of self-aware of this crowd, I feel, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. We want flares. All right. Isn't it? Um, yes. Okay. I guess. Um, and one thing I'll say is flares in a suit here. Yes, yeah, I did notice yeah. that, and he, he doesn't wear the suit in WWF. Oh my god! I today, just today on Twitter, uh, uh, Mike Falcone, uh, listener of the show, he he posted a picture of Flair on Regis and Kathy Lee, and he's in his robe. I was like, come on, man! <laughs> like he can't wear a suit on Regis and Kathy Lee. It's ridiculous. Uh, Clearly a Vince order that. Yes, one, yes, it? it's, it's just seemed propi- made him look way too cartoony. Um, but yeah, nice to see him in a suit here. Um, and then, and I, oh I boy! <laughs> Jesse uh, chooses this moment to mention the fact that it's been a long wait for Jesse Ventura and Ric Flair to be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, what did he make of that? Now, comment? who was clamoring for that? <laughs> 
Well, you see, it, it does seem like Jesse's putting himself over and so Oh, on, it definitely it? seems like that. We, and, but, I mean, you know, pre-production, but we uh, had a, you knew I'd be all over this comment. So you said you had a defense for it. So lay it out for me. <laughs> well, my defense is basically that this was code. For W for acknowledging WWF on air without oh, saying come it. On. <laughs> this was his way of saying, you know, I was there, then you were there, and I was here. So I think that's what he was trying to acknowledge yeah, without really saying it. That's really weak. <laughs> okay, let's that get on. That was to the very next. selfish. I, I didn't have much problem with Jesse on this show, but I thought that was a definite eye rolling moment. That was <laughs> You know, WrestleMania Five. I got to get introduced in front of Trump Plaza and pose that kind of selfishness. Jesse was a major star. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, second match then is Chris Benoit taking on Two Cold Scorpio. Yes, uh, whose music then got stuck in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, now, uh, my uh, I've got quite a bit of commentary watch on this. Uh, Chad. Um, first of all, they put over Steve's basement quite a lot. Um, Jesse's working this angle where he keeps on calling uh, Shivani a redneck. Um, uh, like he's he's trying to, you know, say that all the fans are rednecks and that right. uh, Shivani's a, a redneck as well. Uh, and then um, Shivani's just like, would you watch the match? And then, <laughs> and then there's a moment where Jesse's like counting and. Um, Shivani just like bites at him he can count he just says and uh, Jesse comes back with well when you get a paycheck like mine you bet I can count and uh, Shivani comes back with one of the all time lines we all know Jesse we all know (laughs) (laughs) and then it's in this same match where he uh, comes out with a don't talk with ice in your mouth line as well I mean Tony's feisty tonight isn't he yeah well Tony was willing to trade shots with Jesse which makes the commentary overall so much better I mean it just does they are like an old married couple but it it just flows better in the overall show so it it works it kind of has a little uh I'd say they're probably closer to Gorilla and yeah. Jesse than Vance and Jesse, maybe. Um, yeah, but but good chemistry, I think. I I, I feel like um, I feel like Ventura shows Gorilla a little bit more respect than he sh- than he shows <laughs> than he shows Tony. Yeah, the, uh, I mean the good thing with Jesse with Gorilla is sometimes he'd be like, oh, you know, like he would. Uh, call back to how big of a heel gorilla was like when people would cheat and stuff and always yeah. like that moment um but yeah so the match so so this match i thought was great i'll just come out and say that i like the opening mat work um showing that scorp could hang on the mat the match had a lot of little touches like how scorpio put his knee into the uh, arm and the midsection just adding little wrinkles to really build the match overall Benoit gets thrown to the outside, and that slows things down with a bridge and a test of strength. Uh, some really great monkey flips and a drop kick arm drag combo by Scorp to break out of that, which looked really flashy. Uh, Benoit takes over with a clothesline off of a spin kick miss. And I, one thing that I liked about this match was Benoit then starts healing it up, which I thought was really important that it, this just didn't feel like an exhibition um, you kind of got some of that face hill structure with Benoit healing it up to the crowd. Uh, nice sidewalk slam and a higher ranged uh, Boston crab by Benoit. 
Uh, Benoit, though, hurts his own head on the superplex as we start getting the time cues. Uh, so they're sort of teasing a 20-minute draw here. Uh, Scorp gets a nice uh, twisting press with 60 seconds to go, and then you see a lot of desperation uh, where Benoit slams Scorpio's face face first with 30 seconds left. He gets a second rope leg drop, uh, but then Scorpio was able to roll up Benoit with one second left to uh, win the match, which I thought was a really well-executed tease of the uh, of the draw with the definitive finish. So I went four stars on this one, thought it was great, thought both guys looked tremendous coming out of it. And really, I mean, this felt like a preview of stars to come for WCW. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought some of the spots were really amazing to see in 93, you know, belly to back suplex from the top. I mean, that's a huge spot for then. Um, some of Scorpio's kind of signature uh, splashes and so on. Um, have to say though, Chad, I thought it was a bit spotty. Which <laughs> just oh, sounds come uh, on. sounds a bit harsh, but uh, you know, very impressive moves for '93. But I don't know. I, I just felt there was a bit of that kind of they were looking to do their next move. Uh, I saw it like in Benoit a little bit. Um, you know, I guess go 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 ness. I guess you'd call it. Now, now this match, I will say, Chad, blew me away when I first saw it. Uh, but it didn't quite hold up for me this time. Didn't really hit that spot. Um, uh, finishing stretch is still really good, though. So I gave it three and three quarters. So not, not a million yeah, miles away. Yeah, pretty cool. But I just remember this is, like, in my mind, this was one of, like, a real hidden gem type thing back in the day. And it, it didn't quite hit those levels this time. Yeah, to me, I think I like this more than, like, Luger Pillman. Or Liger Pillman, excuse me. From interesting too so yeah well, well i wasn't blown away by that this time either so it's interesting the things that and i was blown away by that back in the day as well so it's just interesting to see how your tastes change a little bit right or i guess what you're looking for at different times <laughs> now we go from that to a max Payne promo thoughts on this John? oh man this was bad like we've had some God awful promos this year between the Eric Watts. Um, and this was up there with all of them. I mean, he, he keeps talking about this Norma Jean, uh, which is, his, it, it's, I mean, yeah, it's his guitar, but it makes no sense. Then he says he has a surprise for Dustin. He plays taps on his fucking guitar. It was just a train wreck. I hated this. I really hated it. Now, um, just a quick question on the fly here, Chad. You mentioned Honky Tonk Man earlier. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, who else is that guitar player? Uh, Van, uh, Van Hammer. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Max Payne here. Of all the people who kind of had music-based gimmicks, like a music star type thing, who would be the the best and the worst for you? I think Honky's like, definitely the best because it worked as a as the hokiness. What, but what about the greatest band on earth, the Freebirds? That, I mean, they actually made it work kind of okay, too. Not in, like, the 91, remember that concert <laughs> slash entrance? Um, that was some uh, great Jimmy Garvin. But, uh, but yeah, they, they kind of made that work, too, in the 80s. Um, Van Hammer, no. And I'd say Max Payne, as we saw tonight, was even worse. Um, just... I, I, just no charisma. Like, he's totally devoid of any 
charisma or caring, and he, he keeps talking about this Norma Jean as his guitar, which makes no sense. It, it almost makes you wonder if he has a, a, a some type of uh, mental illness in regards to that, like how obsessive he is. It's it's just really bizarre. Well, I, I thought he may be channeling a bit of like early emo kind of stuff. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess his gimmick is like a grunger, but grunger, yeah. I'd imagine he listens to the cure, to the the cure. You know that band. Uh, uh, I was thinking the... more like Alice in Chains. I was Alice, oh yeah, that's about, that's about right. Yeah, Alice in Chains. Uh, but he was very downbeat, wasn't he? Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, downbeat. just down, and that sort of doesn't play. I mean, I guess Raven perfected that. And I'm not a huge Raven fan, but he was able to perfect and portray that better than what we got here. Would you take Max Payne over PN News? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know about that. You you don't know? I mean, come come on, though. I mean, PN News, like, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, is at least fun to say. (laughs) All right. Well, that could be this week's listener question. Who would you take, uh, PN News or Max Payne? (laughs) God. <laughs> anyway, uh, next match on the card then is uh, Bill Irwin um, taking on Davy Boy Smith. I've just written here dreads on a white man. Discuss <laughs> any, any thoughts on Davy Boy's hair? Yeah, my, my, my brother rocked the dreadlocks uh, for a time. <laughs> nice, uh, which, which I you can imagine my reaction to that. <laughs> um, I thought that was, uh, you know, I frowned on his dreadlocks, but uh, there we go. Um, did, did you, I mean, Davy Boy's got pretty good ones, actually. They're really well kept, aren't they? Yeah, kind of I more think like it's really, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what about Bill Irwin? Now, to me, he yeah. looks very jobbery and flabby here. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, this was a squash. Like this, yeah. this was what it was. Um, as far as trying to get Irwin over, I, I didn't. I mean, Irwin was there to get Davy Boy over. I didn't think it was uh, extremely effective, really. I mean, I, I, I mean, I went a star and a half yeah, on it. A star and a half, no, just 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 one one star, star for me. you. I mean, I I thought when Irwin went on offense, he resorted to the Chinlock City, which was pretty uh, pretty mundane. I mean, he's not given much of a chance to shine, and when he did, he didn't really capitalize on it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this was really to introduce Davey and then to move him on to bigger and better things. My question is, like, it seems to me that this should have been on an episode of Saturday Night, let alone a Clash, let alone a bloody Yeah, a Clash I could see. Like, a Clash, this wouldn't have been bad. But, yeah, for a pay-per-view, it's kind of a waste of time, especially when you have people like Steamboat, which, you know, we read all those Meltzers. We never did get a reason why he wasn't on the show, right? So if any yeah. listener knows something that the Meltzers didn't allude to, I don't remember him being heard around this time. I mean, I know him and Douglas had a ton of uh, tag matches versus the Blondes. I mean, I don't know why they just didn't go with that match for the titles. It didn't make no sense, but... Strange. Yeah, really odd. We get a Bulldog promo now, and uh, it's always weird to my ears to hear uh, Davey Boy on the mic, uh, even more so than Regal. <laughs> it just it jolts me out of it to hear, like, that, you know, Manchester accent in the middle of all this American uh, stuff. It's just... Strange, um, more pointless Johnny B. Bad stuff. I mean, why is he? Why is he even they, here? These, these whole segments, like they would cut to them through. I mean, we've seen this where Tony hosts a pay per view, and they're always pretty pointless. But this seemed even worse than normal because literally after every match, like they would cut to them on the stage, 
Johnny B. Bad would essentially say one sentence like, oh, yeah, Dave Boy Smith, he's looking really good, tutti-frutti, you know, and then that'd be it. It's like, well, look, that'd be okay. Like, it made no sense. Total waste of time. Yeah, really, uh, just, I mean, just straight filler. And it's not like they're long segments, but just when you see them constantly over and over again and they say absolutely nothing of note, you're like, get on with it. Not not entertaining either. No. Just rubbish. Yeah. Um, Eric Bischoff now is with uh, Paul Orndorff and Cactus Jack attacks him with a shovel, um, leading immediately into their no DQ match. Um, so take it away, Chow. What do you make of this one? Yeah, this, you know, you talked about Scorpio versus Benoit being kind of like a hidden gem. To me, this is a hidden gem. Yeah, I, I would yeah. watch this match because, you know, it starts off hot. Jack jumps him. Uh, in the aisleway with the shovel, we're off and running. Cactus does his running elbow on the concrete. Uh, he gets uh, sunset flipped. Cactus does. Paul was able to take over from that. I, one thing I liked um, with this is they really portrayed Jack as kind of the brawling wild man across the ring. And when Orndorff is able to take advantage, he immediately rolls back into the ring. Um, so it shows like he feels more comfortable doing stuff in the ring, but this is a no DQ or false County or whatever match. So he still is using more of a brawling style offense with kicks, uh, raking his fingers across the eyes, uh, fish hooking cactus Jack. So I thought that was nice that, you know, Jack is by far the bigger garbage brawler or wild man or whatever, but, uh, Orndorff, you know, given the stipulation, will mix it up with fists and stuff too. I thought Cactus Jack took an absolute crazy bump on the safety rails when they went yeah. and fought on the entranceway, and then Paul suplexes him across the uh, safety rail again. Orndorff then starts walking, or working over the uh, leg with a figure four. He slams the knee on the concrete on the outside. Um, I, I thought this was a good commentary moment by Jesse with him saying that Cactus wouldn't quit. That was a good job of Jesse and putting over Cactus. Uh, Cactus does kind of a nasty plunge-style bump off a big punch, whereas uh, the back of his head thumps off the uh, mat. Paul uses his knee brace. Then Paul starts using the chair on the leg of Cactus, so continuing to work over the leg. Uh, but he wastes too much time. He calls for the uh, pile driver, and Cactus Jack rose to a huge pop is able to wallop Paul with the shovel and wins to another huge pop. Really get got over with the crowd here. Um, I went four stars on this one as well. Uh, a great match. Uh, really good garbage brawl. I'd say if you like Sting versus Cactus Jack from Beach Blast 92, you really need to watch this one because I thought it was about the same length of time, but this one had more hate and intensity than that match. Yeah, and I know prior to the... Uh Prior to uh, recording this, Chad, I sent you the Facebook message, didn't I? Um, I wonder how high I can go on this. And I was really interested to see where you would land. I've got exactly the same rating, four stars. It seems about right. Work with real intensity. And I've always thought that Orndorff was just on it during this run. And Cactus makes him look great. I mean, somebody like uh, Foley who can bump, who can, you know, make an opponent look good. I thought it really emphasized... Um, some of the intensity that Orndorff was working with here as well. Just really good. Um, probably one of, probably the best, cac- I don't know, Cactus Vader, has that happened yet? 
No, not like, yet. Uh, but I've watched uh, those matches, and I think I like this better than that. So I, it, one thing I thought about this was like, you know, you have Orndorff here in 93. And it's like, in 1990, you had Steamboat not a, associated with anybody big, Orndorff. Uh, yeah. You know, they were in Abrams, UWF, or whatever. Like, you really could have built a promotion that I think would have had some solid talent. Even Cactus Jack. I mean, he did Cactus Jack Manson, but then he was gone uh, from WCW for a long amount of time. So the talent was there. If there's a run that is the most underrated, like, that nobody ever talks about, I would say this Orndorff in 93, just because he seems so... I don't know if he had something to prove, but he works with real fierceness that you don't really see that in this environment too too much. Uh, definitely comes through in this match. So, yeah, I mean, I can't really remember what else uh, Orndorff does during this year. I know he's got the weird uh, stuff with that psychic guy. Yeah, at some point, doesn't he? Yeah, that's coming. Um, all right, more pointless Johnny B. Bad stuff now. I, I don't even know what he was talking about. I, I kind of switched off whenever he came back, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, so annoying. Um, and now we get uh, Heavenly Bodies, who are Lane, Pritchard, and Bobby Eaton. Now, can you explain what was going on here? Why? How come all three of them were involved? Yeah, well, basically, this was off the angle. Um, this was off the angle that they shot on Saturday night, where Eaton was still around um, and was basically helping his old team. So, so he's he's associated with them. That's that's the basic gist of it. Right, because I mean, we get like a interesting little midnights reunion here. Yeah, I mean, they don't mention it, but it's that's the kind of the subtext. Yeah, really. they're hanging around. Um, and then the the opponents of the Rock and Roll Express, who were who were basically treated as a as a huge deal. Uh, I mean, Tony just erupts. I mean, he's basically orgasming on commentary. <laughs> um, and uh, I felt I felt the crowd give them a pretty decent pop as well. Right. Uh, um. And um, uh, what else happened? Connect calls the crowd ugly. Um, and there's a couple of little moments on commentary I have to mention before we get into this. Tony with, a, with another like venom-laced attack on Jesse just says, "Sometimes I'm going to talk and you're going to stop," <laughs> which I just saw was like he's getting ever more tetchy. And then um, I couldn't believe Ventura said this. What's he a doctor of? Maybe gynecology? I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. And then, <laughs> and then they say Cornette says destruction, which is kind of lame compared to what he Gynecology. Said I mean, that is, I thought that was pretty risque for Jesse there. Yeah, that um, one's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, what do you make of this one? Uh, I mean, this is like their touring match, but it's a ton of fun, I thought. Um, you, you get their signature scenes where the big, big shine to start, uh, bodies running into each other at amusing spots, Cornette and the bodies hugging. They do the uh, crisscross spot that I love, which leads to Morton chasing Cornette into the ring, and then he runs into Stan Lane. That always gets a great pop, and I love it. Um, but then, you know, eventually it's going to happen where the bodies take over. They do. Cornette uses his racket, and he's all giddy. Strong body stuff, double-team stuff on top. Gets and gets his hot tag. Match goes to the ending now. Um, and then I liked where uh, Cornette distracted the ref, but Eaton comes off uh, the top rope on the wrong man, allowing the Rock and Roll Express to win. So 
again, kind of the, the heels are a little out of sorts here. Rock and Roll Express get the upper hand. They win. Very fun match. I went three and a half on this one. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I was, I, I don't know, I, was, I wasn't I was in a bad mood, but I, I feel like I was a bit stingy on my old ratings and reviews uh, on this particular show, because I thought there was some really stupid shit in this match, Chad. I mean, that spot with Lane crisscrossing and then continuing to run with Corny then getting into the ring and bumping, I mean, that's just stupid. I didn't, oh, that was like, I love that. I mean, even as a comedy spot, like, why would Lane just keep on running and running and running and... Cornette get into the ring to to bump into him. It doesn't like why, why was Cornette going into the ring there? Well, he was being chased by Morton. Uh, I see. Okay, well, guy, uh, it actually makes sense him getting into the ring. Uh, now, so like, he get he was getting he was getting into the ring to get out of the way, and Lane was still running and bumped right, into him. Right, okay, right. I mean, it was a decent match. The heat sequence was fine. Um, but to me, the heavenly bodies have just got too much stick and comedy for my, it's like they take the midnight stuff, you know, the midnights always sprinkle a bit of that stuff in, but they take it like they ramp it up right to 11 on the comedy stuff here. Um, and I would have just liked to have seen a little bit less of that. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they kind of do that on a, a smoky mountain to a degree. I mean, the bungee jumping match and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's a, I would say bodies overall to a degree are a little more comedic than midnights. But then when they get into the loser leave uh, smoky mountain build in the uh, spring of 1994, that's a really serious angle and probably something you'd like a lot more. So anyway, I went th- I went three stars. Uh, I thought it was you know perfectly good, but I, I guess I would have wanted a much better match uh, considering who was involved. In fact, there was a bit of a shame that Eaton wasn't partaking in the match itself. Uh, I would have actually just preferred to be straight up Eaton and Lane against Rock and Rolls. Um, yeah, I mean I know I know Eaton was obviously not working with Smoky Mountain, but you know I just. Feels like the match would have been better. And he, he actually was kind of mixed in, too. So, it's yeah. Smoky Mountain. When he they... had a little... And uh, who else crops up there? Is it Arn? Somebody else yeah, crops Arn. up there, don't they? Arn. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so... Um, now there's women, there's smoke, there's stinging shades. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and then we just get... We get such small clips of the White Castle of Fear. Right. Just sort of spliced together. I, I mean... If you bought the pay-per-view, you knew what was going on. So I don't think we had to see this again. So Dustin Rhodes now takes on everybody's favorite guitarist, Max Payne, for the U.S. title. Any uh, thoughts on this one? A really rudimentary start. Payne, I thought, looked terrible in his little singlet. He looked straight in wrestling school. Um, just amateur. Dustin works a long arm bar with absolutely nothing of note happening. Uh, Dustin fires into the corner by Payne, uh, but Payne really has nothing to contend with that. Then Payne takes over, absolutely had no focus uh, to anything he did. Uh, the match was completely devoid of heat. I mean, this was, you talk about a heatless match. There, You could hear like kind of side conversations and stuff about like people saying they're going to the concession stand. I mean, it's really bad. And then, you know, with the crowd turning on it or not caring, then Rhodes decides to lock in an abdominal stretch, which made no sense to me, like, to make his comeback. That was such a boring move. 
Uh, and and then, so to top it all off, you get a terrible finish where Payne grabs a referee on purpose to get DQ'd. Really ends this shitty mess. Uh, Payne does give a shoulder breaker slam on the outside, which was the most impressive move he did in the whole match, and no one still cared. I... I mean, we've seen some bad matches par. We saw the Chono debacles on both Halloween Havoc and Starcade. I, th- yep. I think this may be the worst of the bunch. It, it really might. I, th- I thought this was atrocious. I went, Worst match we've ever Not the worst match we've ever seen, Jordan. Pr- probably not the worst match we've ever seen, but, but I mean. Motor City Madman. And I don't, I don't Stone, know, bro. man. This, this one for 11 minutes is really up there because, I mean, they just worked an arm bar in nothing happened like pain on top was literally like him putting in a chin lock or an arm bar. It was so bad. So I went a quarter star. Um, <laughs> I really hated this match. I, I, and now see, I thought this show was really rolling along. Like, yeah, the opener wasn't great, but after that, you've got the uh, great technical match. You had a great brawl and then you had the fun campy stuff of the, uh, the uh, bodies and rock and roll express. So I was really hyped about this show, knowing the main event was a match that I've loved before. And I was like, well, maybe these two matches aren't as bad or, you know, just haven't heard much about them. So maybe they'll over deliver uh, the bridge the gap and we'll have a really great pay-per-view. And I thought this was atrocious. So yeah, quarter star. Chad, you are not going to like what I wrote in my notes here. (laughs) If you thought this was good, I don't know. No, 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 no. I've just written, Pain works the arm with a very loose arm bar. Kind of reminded me of that Angel Azteca nonsense you made me watch. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Um, Appalling arm bar by Pain. Uh, I thought, yeah, this is a poor match. Dustin didn't get a lot out of Pain here. I mean... We've given Dustin a lot of praise, yeah, but I mean, I think this uh, is this to me is a knock on Dustin, and we'll get to the next match. But that's a knock on a certain individual too, and those are two guys that ranked in my GWE top 100. But they a really bad performance. I mean, he gave nothing. Like I said, he knew the crowd didn't care, and so for him, when he starts his comeback to lock in an abdominal stretch, I thought was a really poor choice. Yeah, dud, dud. Basically, um, uh, I mean, what, what else can you give it? You know, yeah. quarter, what's the point of giving a quarter of a star? I like the uh, shoulder breaker on the outside, so that, that <laughs> I gave it the quarter. Um, okay, so Ric Flair comes out now, cool hair, slick suits. I thought this is a perfect look for Rick at this time. I, I, li- I kind of like his 1993 look in general. Like, he's, his hair's grown a bit longer than it was in WWF, and... He says the nature boy is back to rock and roll. And then he puts over the fact that he never lost the title. Um, And he sticks around now, Flair, um, to commentate on this match, which is the Great Muta taking on Barry uh, Windham. Great Muta is the NWA champion. And uh, uh, Flair is here to to watch this. Um, Nick Patrick gets on the mic. Now, Patrick's a real Southern boy, isn't he? Uh, Um, It's Randy Anderson. Oh, no, oh, sorry. Uh, Randy, yeah. Oh, yeah. Randy, oh, yeah. Don't call me Pee Wee Anderson. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, he's a real Southern <laughs> yeah. boy. Uh, Huge Southern accent given the instructions. <laughs> it was pretty humorous. I noticed that as well. M- massive We Want Flair Yeah, chant. during the instructions, which was bad. 
second time in Wyndham's career that he's. Got I know. I, I said the same thing. I was like, Barry gets screwed again because when he was going for the belt the first time. I, I mean, do you think they should have had Flair out there? Because it did seem to hijack um, the early moments here. He said, "Well, I mean, he sticks around on commentary." <laughs> I think the the story, if you were in that building that night, the story was the nature boys in town, basically. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they gave Muta the big entrance, didn't they? He was he was in uh, in his finery as he was coming right, out. Right. Face um, paint and the nice did, robe. Did think it maybe made Wyndham look secondary or made him look like a smaller star than Rick? I guess overshadowed a little bit. Um. And uh, well, we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but a, a couple of little commentary points, Chad. I can't help but mention these oh, things. I, I bet I know one of them. Um, so Tony with with the barbs all night long. <laughs> There's a moment where Jesse doesn't say anything for a while. He just says, "You can talk anytime you want, Ventura." <laughs> <laughs> just a little dig there. And then Rick uh, Rick says, "We've been missing each other uh, by a year for, or two for the past ten years." He says. So oh. <laughs> Rick, Rick comes in and picks up on the fact that him and uh, Jesse haven't um, <laughs> haven't been kind of in the same place at the same time. So what do you think of that? Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then we've got um, Tony Schiavone says, do you live to embarrass me? Um, and then Ventura says sometimes, but then again, you do enough to embarrass yourself. So <laughs> another great back and forth. Now, um, felt like uh, Muta was in rest hole mode again tonight, but uh, w- what did you make of this? Yeah, uh, I can't even believe you didn't mention this. There was also where uh, Ventura said he was going to be a senator soon, and Flair said he had his vote. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, should I call you Mayor Ventura? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, we've heard the instruction that Watts told the Japanese guys to tone it down, but Watts is no longer there, so I don't know why... Uh, Muda was still heeding his advice because this was a really bad match too. Muda works a, a headlock, didn't do much with it. Um, I mean, there, this was a really bad headlock. I mean, the first 10 to 15 minutes of this match is just nothing. Like, there was points where I had to check the network to make sure I was still watching or that I hadn't fought. I mean, you literally, you know, you talk about working a headlock and you can do stuff like patting your arm or trying to fight out. I mean... There was a ton of instances in this match where Muda was laying on with the headlock applied. Barry was just laying down. I mean, it looked like he was taking the nap like Andre did in that one match or whatever. Um, it's just just awful. Uh, then finally, 15-minute mark, Barry Wyndham hits a big DDT to kind of shake out the uh, cobwebs. Belly-to-back suplex on the outside, but I thought by this time the crowd was already kind of done with the match. Uh, and, and Wyndham's still a heel here, so he uses the ropes for leverage with the sleeper, uh, but it's kind of a weird structure, which I didn't think Muda really garnered any sympathy as the face, so it, it just created a really weird crowd dynamic. Uh, Barry does have some great punches, but then he goes back to the chin lock, which I thought was a huge mistake on his part. Wyndham gets superplex, Muda fights back, chop from the top, and handstand elbow. 
Muda goes for the moonsault. Barry gets his knees up, then hits his implant DDT. Wins the NWA title. Very anticlimactic. I want a star and a half on this, uh, mainly for the last three or four minutes, but really disappointing. Not a good match. Um, I think that's fair to say. I, I don't really have a lot to um, add on this. Uh, Muta really looked like he phoned it in to me. Yeah. I mean, oh, maybe yeah. He, he was probably like, oh, God, you know, I have to fly all the way over there and put over some American guy. Um, so there we go. Um, it was a big moment for Barry, but I felt that uh, it was immediately kind of not hijacked by Flair, but Flair gets in the ring, doesn't he? And... Um, puts the belt on Wyndham. Right. I thought I thought Rick Strutt was pretty, and the little look he gives him was pretty funny, but it was basically like immediately kind of like, you're only looking after that belt for the man type thing. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it was certainly setting up an angle with them, but... Um, uh. it, it, it just felt like Wyndham was second, but second best to Flair, right. even though he was winning the... It was weird, wasn't it? It was kind of like oddly buried, uh, Wyndham, which I'm sure not. I'm sure that's not on Rick, but it's just the way. I guess Wyndham wasn't not that big a star, not as big as like he doesn't. You know, obviously Flair is Flair, and he means what he does, and he's just come back, so you know anybody's going to look small fry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think that Wyndham had a few cool suplexes and things, but I gave it two stars, so you know not. Not a million miles away, uh, Chad. And one of the things I thought about is that we forgot to, as I always, always forget. Uh, oh, the Meltzer's. The Meltzer's rating. Let me see if I can uh, find those, because they're in the, the, the next one, the one where Jim Ross resigns, uh, which I was saving for uh, next week. Um, because now we're on to Vader versus Sting. Um, and, of course, we, we, we have to mention the uh the, the exchange of the night uh I have, I have his ratings too by the way oh you have his right okay well maybe you can run them why didn't you run down okay so the opener he gave three stars which is generous um two cold and benoit three and three fours so size with oh, you I thought, there i thought you, i thought you'd go higher on that, that surprises me. um davy boy and bill Irwin he gave a quarter star too um, right. Now this one, I'm shocked. Cactus Jack versus Paul Orndorff, four stars. Wow. So I don't know why people don't talk about that more. Um, I, I, I always just kind of assumed it was a hidden gem. Rock and Roll and Heavily Bodies, he gave four stars too, which is quite generous. Max Payne and Dustin Rhodes, a half star too. And then uh, this match, he gave a star and a quarter too. And I'll go ahead and mention the main event, he gives four and a quarter. Um, so three four-star matches on this pay-per-view, according to Big Dave. Right, well. How much did you give the main event to? Four and uh, a quarter. Four and a quarter, okay. Yeah. Well, um, yes, and just as we get into this uh, match, this is, of course, the White Castle of Fear strap match um, between Vader and Sting. Um, and Jesse's got the line when... Uh, when they're being uh, whipped, this reminds me of you and your children, Shivani, whipping them <laughs> like that. And Shivani's just like, "No, you shut up." Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, it's like, where are they going to push this? Can you even imagine him saying that to Jim Ross? <laughs> no, yeah, Jim Ross. <laughs> Which is and then, well, and, that, and and you would have no idea, but you know, Jim Ross, the big uh, Oklahoma fan. Um, one of Oklahoma's best football stars is Adrian Peterson, who got in a ton of hot water for him 
kind of beating his child <laughs> with the with his uh, whipping methods. But so yeah, it's kind of a fun antidote. Yeah, well, and of course Ross has talked about being whipped as a kid. Isn't sure, he, as well? yeah, that's true too. Uh, He's got history there. <clears throat> so, um, all right, does this one hold up for you? Man, I love this match. I, I really do. Every time I watch it, I, I like it probably even a little bit more. Um, it's non-sanctioned by WCW. Vader's dominant to start, really establishes his size, really good beefy elbows, a really nice uh, big splash from the second rope. Um, but I like Sting coming back and being resourceful with the strap to crotch Vader. Um, and then his punches and chops look good as he really laid it in and took Vader off his feet to a big pop. Uh, and then we go to the outside where Sting slams Vader and starts dragging him around to hit each post, which I thought was a really impressive feat of him dragging around this huge man. Uh, Sting gets shrugged into the guardrail, misses a uh, Sting misses a big splash on the top. And I, I think the thing I liked about this match is it really felt like a war. Like you could really see the damage done with both the welts on the back from the strap shots. And then the blood that Vader ends up getting when he gets strapped right in the face uh, at the end. Uh, so, so we get the final comeback where Vader uses the strap again. And Sting kind of runs forward with him with a spinning kick. I thought that was an innovative move. Huge German suplex. And then Sting's trying to drag around a bloody Vader where he's uh, he's has him in a slow and drop position on top of him. And I love that he just sort of passed out right as he was in the final uh, post. Uh, finishes where Vader gets thrown into the final quarter. Final quarter is kind of your typical strap match finish. But I, I thought both guys just really played over the war well. And uh, Vader went in was kind of a shock. Kind of definitively runs the feud here. There's a right after the finish, there's a shot of Vader just as a bloody mess and the crowd kind of going nuts for him. And then Sting gets his heat back and slaps Vader with the strap as the show ends. Uh, so this is still my favorite of the three big matches that we watched. I love this match. I went four and three quarters uh, match of the year candidate for sure worldwide in 1993. And just a tremendous match that I thought used the stipulation really well. Felt like a definitive end of the feud with a nice finish of the heel actually going over. Uh, just just an outstanding feud. Yeah, um, phenomenal match. Uh, blood, violence, epic encounter. It's given the proper length to tell the story it wants to. And I think that's really important. It feels like it's given a good chunk of time here. Where is it? Like... 20 plus minutes yeah yeah probably, um, probably right around 20 minutes i think yeah um holds up very much i i very much enjoyed it chad i gave it the same rating four and uh four and three quarters um and probably my favorite of the three of them as well um now that i think about it uh really good match um and just perfect opponents for each other i think yeah they just complement each other so well so, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's not a lot else to say. It's one of the better matches that we've seen uh, in a while. Um, and definitely come the end of the year, it will be it will be up there, won't it? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't really think we'll have much of a contender, honestly, that I can think of besides um, Flair and Vader at Starcade. 
um, which mm-hmm. uh, which is a match that has a lot of emotion for both of us. Um, but that's, that's the only match just right off hand that really feels like it's going to be even a contender. I can't. I can't think of anything. No, uh, I mean, I mean, I, everything else with the year feels like it kind of tops at that four star range if it gets to that point. Why don't we go through our end of show awards then? I mean, Who, I, no, I, just. For, I mean, I think you can make an argument. This is the last like epic match of the year candidate WCW match that they would have until. Uh, what, 96, 97, maybe. Probably even 97 with Ray versus Eddie, which I know you don't like but um, as much. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, I, I can't think of anything. War Games in 94? That one, I'm, yeah, we'll have to watch that one to see where I have it overall. Um, I can't really think. I mean, Steamboat Flair. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I think that was a great match, but I don't think they. I mean, this this like '93 is a really strong worldwide year for match quality, and this is right there in it with like the Dream Slam main event, the uh, Real World Tag League main event, and stuff like that. Hmm. It's it's in there. I can't really. I can't really. Uh, like that time period that we're we're just about to come into, like all the way up to '90. 697 I mean on flair they're not really like world beating matches no I mean like, yeah like, great matches but this one's like yeah I mean like nearly perfect Re- regal on maybe something yeah I, I mean it just feels like we've had a lot of those kind of sneakily you know like war games 92 even war games 91 um we've, we've had a lot of those four and a half and above match of the year candidate type matches uh, going through these shows since we really started, and now we're gonna have a lull, I believe. But maybe not. Maybe something will surprise us. Yeah. No, um. I want. I, I tell. I tell you one match I'm keeping my eye on because uh, another one that blew me away years ago was uh, was Davy Boy Regal. Uh, I I really remember that being really good, but I need to see it again. Obviously. Um. So you've seen that one in recent memory. Yeah. Um. We'll, we'll we'll get to it, but there's <laughs> <laughs> uh, either going to be a means. big disagreement, or you're going to be uh, or, disagreeing uh, with myself from yeah, years ago. Yeah, you're going to be uh, retracting your statement there. <laughs> uh, okay, um, so uh, match of the night, I think, is a no-brainer. Right? Would you agree? Yeah, sure. So MVP, MVP, I'm going with Vader. Um, I, th- I think there's a lot of good contenders, though. I mean, I thought Cactus Jack really threw himself into that match. Like, he took some crazy bumps, really worked to get that over. I touched on how smart I thought Orndorff's work was also in that match, so that was good. Sting was great. Uh, Scorpio and, and uh, Benoit, I thought, made a name for themselves. But, I mean, just I'm, I'm left with that lasting image of the bloody Vader from being slapped legitimately in the face with the strap and just a bloody mess and he just looked like a monster in this match with his squat his uh squishy splashes his elbows uh he really looked like the guy that was you know not gonna quit and was just a badass yeah i'm trying to think of who i would go yeah i vader or sting or orndorff or cactus i think those are it's between those four um, I think I'm going to give it to Vader as well, though. 
I like the visual of, of him at the end of the match. Um, yeah. And I, I actually think that he seems to put Sting over even though he wins. If that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. It's like he almost has to kill himself in order to do it. Right. Um, and it's Vader, you know, who who feels no pain, etc. So, um, yeah. Um, okay. Billy Graham winner. Uh, Max Payne for me. I thought he was uh, crappy. He had a lot of segments on the show. Terrible interview, terrible work. He, he sucked. <laughs> Um, I, I'm going to do something a bit controversial. I, I'm going to give it to Dustin. I feel like it was on Dustin to get something out of that match. And he really just didn't, you know, and I feel I didn't give it to Dustin. I'd have given it to great Muta. Cause, cause sometimes there's, you know, when some guys have got talent and they don't use it, it's surely on them, you know? Right. I mean, how how long had Max Payne been wrestling in 1993? That's true. I mean, you I mean, you just gave a Muda match from '92 with Hase five stars. So I mean, he has, yeah. he has it in him. Yeah, Muta's a straight is such a strange one, isn't he? Like oh, just, like with, with with the swings. Oh yeah, you know. so so inconsistent. All right, so what are we going to next, Chad? What's our next show? Next, I guess we're going to look at the uh, January 4 Tokyo Dome show, um, and that'll be the last one of that series. Which, which uh, that's the New Japan Super Show, right. Chad. Uh, I think it was March yeah. 7th or whatever. Yeah, so a couple weeks after this. Yeah, and um, if you want to uh, have a Hall of Fame ballot, why don't you come and present a show with old Prav? You'll, 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 get, you'll get a ballot, and I won't. <laughs> So I'm like Joe, Chad. I'm like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Uh, I was just, I'm uh, d- you know, Donnie Brasco, and all of you are, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, God, what's the name of that bloody actor? Uh, you know the one, Jack Sparrow. Uh, oh, uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah, I'm Donnie Brasco, and you're all Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, I, I'm uh, I'm interested to to see who uh, who Pete and Alan uh, both vote. I mean, Alan's going to go straight in for Big Daddy, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Anybody else? No, um, no doubt did you, about did, it. Did you consider voting for Big Daddy even for a second? Um, yeah. I mean, if I voted in that region, I think you got to look at historical significance. I mean, Big Daddy, that's it. Like, I mean, it is what it is. He's just such a shoddy worker. Um, <laughs> it's it's tough yeah. but yeah I, I would consider it he would be a slam dunk for me but he'd be in consideration yeah i'm always interested to see who who uh does and doesn't get in i i think uh brian will go straight in yeah well i mean he, he didn't last year and i was kind of shocked at that but i i think he'll get in this year you know just little things like him being on that uh wwe uh network thing and like when he came back and it was all you know all that sort of stuff he's done recently right. i just think it's kind of i don't know he seems to have very affections and that sort of thing can go a long way in the in the community all right well till next time fans so long for now fans for all of us here at wcw center stage for cowboy bill watts and the american dream dusty Rhodes. i'm jim ross saying good night everybody